afternoon. We're going to be with you for a full three hours today. We had Atlanta Braves baseball scheduled for an afternoon game against the Colorado Rockies. Never got started. A rain delay. Kind of didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, folks there evaluating the weather, the field, dealing with a lot of uh, moisture and rain, of course. And they decided Atlanta, Colorado, Game three of this series will be played at a later date. It is postponed, so we will not have Braves baseball today. We will have B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop with you instead. And, Ben, we have a lot to get to. We're going to talk college football on the show today, needless to say. I want to talk some Alabama-Florida, a number of different storylines there. Should Georgia be on upset alert against a South Carolina team that, while it might not be great, they do have a really good running game, a really good defensive front. Are you getting potentially vibes from a couple of years ago when South Carolina came to Athens? We'll chat with Mike Griffith of Dog Nation. We'll also talk Jaguars and Falcons. But, Ben, I want to open here with a game I know you're really interested in, this Alabama-Florida contest Saturday afternoon in Gainesville, in the swamp. Before I share some of my theories – what are you feeling a couple of days out from the first big SEC game of the season? What do you expect from Alabama? And what's your sense for where the Gators are right now with the quarterback controversy, uh, the top team in the country coming to town? <sighs> Hurry up and get here. Because sometimes, you know, you with so much more fanfare, with so much, you know, uh, uh, you know, BJ, so much more accessibility to these to these coaches and players and the build up. Right. That That's it. And once again, it, it kind of goes back to what, what we talked about early in the week. This is the fan side of things. This is the analyst side of things. I mean, as far as what we do, BJ, what we we're shaping narratives. Right. We're talking about it. Bryce Young, you got the quarterback controversy at Florida. AR-15 is, is scheduled to play with Emory Jones. You're talking about a defense that's. That's very, very improved from a, from a year ago with Ty Grantham. You talk about, you know, Ventrell Miller, him being out for the year now with a torn bicep, had surgery on Monday. You're talking about an Alabama team that always understands they're going to get either the very, very best of a team or bring out the very, very worst in a team. You're not going to get it in between. But I'm very, very even kill at this point, BJ, because, you know, Alabama is a team that they it's not like they're just that much more better than everybody. They just do they just do the small things better than everybody. They don't they don't put themselves in uh in third and long. They don't they don't have pre-snap penalties. They don't have post-snap penalties. They they keep themselves, you know, ahead of the chains. They always on time. And they play with three minutes left in the game, the same way they play opening kickoff. That's the thing that makes Alabama very, very dangerous, not to mention, uh, you know, uh, their halftime adjustment. So I think with all that being said, this is the type of game, this type of game you want. If you're a Florida team, this type of game you want because no matter what, you don't know how good you are until you play Alabama, and that's for everybody that gets to play them. I don't care what you've done up until then. I don't care about 2020 in Atlanta. I don't care about the almost and this, that, and the third. No. Alabama beat you the last time you played, and no, and your star players are all different. Kadarius Tony gone, Kyle Pitts gone, Kyle Trask gone. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Grimes gone. Now you still got some usual suspects from a year ago, like Jacob Copeland, BJ. I think, I think we're gonna learn a lot about him on on Saturday. How good of a player is he? Because it doesn't matter if you get, you know. You have 15 touchdowns at the end of the year. What did you do against elite competition? Oh, man, I ain't really – and that's what you're going to get judged by because that's going to be the barometer player you're going to play at the next level. But I'm 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 very I'm, – I'm still optimistic. I think that Dan Muller is a supreme play, uh, play caller. How does he use these quarterbacks? Like, Emory is going to start. 
whether he whether he shouldn't start or perception reasons or loyalty reasons, he will be the first guy running out there. Now, BJ, this is one thing you do know in big games. The leeway you get against FAU and USF will not that will not be the norm come this weekend because everybody's watching. This is a big recruiting game as well. So I think with all I think with everything being said, everything, you know, uh on the line, Alabama understands that look, we want to win the game. But the fact that they don't need the game, I don't think that's going to have anything to do with how they play. It really comes down to, hey, if old St. Nick told them, look, man, go out there, you guys have fun. But it's going to be a long night for Florida no matter what. Because even if Florida can find a way to be successful on offense, you know, Ty Grams on that defense is going to still have a lot to deal with Bryce Young and Mechie and Robinson and those guys. So I think it's going to be a heavyweight fight. And the thing about a guy, a, a team like Alabama, if it's not so much can you take a punch from Alabama, can you take a punch – consistently from Alabama and continue to punch back. And, hey, it's easier said than done. I never had a chance to play against Alabama in my time in Florida. But these are the games you – listen, these, this is why you come to Florida. These are the games you circle on the calendar. And, look, to, to be the man, you got to beat the man, even if it doesn't mean you're going to win the natty. Bragging rights and uh, perception and, and recruiting is always on the line when Tuscaloosa is in town. Yeah, I'm excited for this game. I, I really think there are some fun storylines in terms of just how good is Florida. Like you said, it's the ultimate barometer and, and litmus test. Uh, I thought Florida was a little underappreciated in the preseason. Well, now they're up to number 11 in the country. And if you're ranked right outside the top 10 and you have the number one team in the country coming to your place, you got to bring it. I mean, you're going to be on full display. Like you said, what are we going to see at the quarterback position? I do agree with you. I think Emory Jones will start. I think we see a lot of Anthony Richardson, though, and, and we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. I think we're going to see a lot of Richardson. But, Ben, here's my thought, and and people always say that when I, when I talk like this, I'm kind of getting too far ahead of myself, but I don't know. This is a big game. This is the first big SEC game of the season. There's a huge spotlight that comes with that. But I don't know that there's a ton of pressure on either team. And that sounds weird to say about a top 11 matchup, but, but, but hear me out here, okay? First and foremost with Florida, if you win this game, that's a that, that's one of the great wins in program history. To beat the number one team in the country, you'll probably move up to fifth or sixth in the national polls, and you've you know established a lot of equity, needless to say, for the rest of the year. But if Florida loses, even if Florida loses 50 to nothing, does it really change anything? Because I think – Florida's goal at the beginning of the season was make it to Atlanta, make it to the SEC championship game, and then if you win that, you're probably going to be in the playoff. Florida's season comes down to Georgia. If Florida beats Georgia, more than likely, you've put yourself in a position to make it to Atlanta and play for an SEC championship, and we'll see what happens after that. On the other side, I know some people have said, including myself, this is a tricky game for the Gator, for, uh, for Alabama against the Gators. What if they lose? I'm not sure that's the worst thing ever if they lose. Now, let me explain myself. Alabama's most important games are in the SEC West, where the head-to-head -head counts double, uh, and you're talking about whether you make it to the SEC championship game or not. If Alabama loses to Texas A&M, that's a season-defining loss, potentially, because A&M will have two games on you in the standings. If Alabama loses to Auburn, that's a season-defining loss because of the, again, the double impact of being a head-to-head -head victory in a, in, a, in a tight division race. I don't know how good LSU is, but potentially the same principle applies there. If Alabama loses to Florida and wins out, they're in the college football playoff. They are, and, and, and they'll be favored in every game, and they are without question in the college football playoff. Go back to 2015. 
Alabama played a game on September 19th that year on the road against the top 15 team, Ole Miss. They lost. They won the rest of their games and won the national championship. Saturday, Alabama plays a top 15 team on September 18th in the SEC. If they lose that game, it will obviously be frustrating, but you still have everything out in front of you, including the national championship. It would not be a loss that derails your season. And in some ways, you guys know I think about the numbers a lot. Teams in the modern era of college football don't win 20, 25, 28 games in a row. If you're Alabama, this could be a loss that you absorb. Doesn't change the dynamic of your – and I'm not saying you try to – I'm not saying – I'm saying from a fan standpoint when you think about this game. If you lose, it doesn't change anything, and it might kind of reset the math in your favor. That's a weird way of looking at things, but I don't think there's a ton of pressure on this game, Ben. I think this is a game where two really good teams, one great team, are going to just go back and forth. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and uh, because it's the third game of the year, BJ, it's gonna, it's one of those. It comes back to the fact that whatever happens in this game will be easily, easy, you know, it will be in the back burner because you know when you start talking about game six, seven, eight, Florida understands that they got to, they got to be able to contend and beat those guys from Athens every single year. You get to add Alabama as your, you know, what every five, six year crossover, when you, which obviously LSU was your, uh, your yearly crossover in the West. But if you Florida, you get up for a game like this. Alabama knows they the creme de la creme. Alabama knows. They are the gold standard in college football. Alabama knows what winning against them does for your program, whether it means advancing the college football playoff or just, you know, boosting the reputation of your program. It's not too many programs uh, not named not named Georgia, not named LSU, not named, you know, Auburn and Alabama that can boost the reputation for a team like Florida. So, Dan Mullen, look. Extension in the offseason, just like Nick Saban. You want to go out there and prove that what you did in Atlanta wasn't a fluke. You want to go out there and show that while Alabama has a brand new uh, quarterback, Alabama hasn't missed a beat, you're going to have to juggle the two-quarterback system. Well, the one thing about the one thing about Alabama, BJ, the quarterback is going to another level. And the last time a two-quarterback system worked in the SEC, that was Dan Muller. He just happened to be the coordinator and not the head coach. So we going, we, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what type of game plan he puts together. And you talking about how good a player is. I want to see how good Anthony Richardson really is because we know he can make highlight reels against FAU and USF. But if you're Alabama and you're on the defense, you're saying that is not happening to me, so I I think I think when the rubber meets the road is what I look will look forward to the most. BJ in games like this because it's not when you did it, it's who you did it against. And if you could do it against Alabama, you could that's going to boost confidence for the rest of the season. Because for Florida, they got some good they got some big games coming up for familiar foes like like Kentucky at Kentucky, like Georgia, obviously injecting you know the, uh, the cocktail party, whether they call it that you know anymore or not. So I think this is a this is a uh, you know. Uh, a perspective booster or, you know, a confidence booster for these Florida Gators. And they're going to need it, BJ, because one thing about it is there are no moral victories. But if you play Alabama close, that's about as close as you're going to ever get to it. And I, of course, understand Florida wants to win this game badly. Alabama wants to win this game badly. You're talking about, you know, history, an undefeated season. But I do think this is a game where it should be tight for the most part. I'm expecting a close game. And I don't think the outcome derails the season for, for either team, but it is going to be a lot of fun. First big SEC game of the, of, of the year. And Ben, I want to get your thoughts. Dan Mullen, if you're getting ready for Alabama, there are a couple of different philosophies for how to play them. Are you super aggressive? Are you taking chances, taking shots? 
Uh, or do you look at it as, hey, we're going to try to compartmentally, uh, compartmentalize things, make sure we don't turn the ball over, make sure we don't leave guys one-on-one downfield. Are you aggressive? Or are you a little more careful? How do you approach the number one team in the country being in your house? I think you have to be aggressive. And then if aggressive don't work, you got to, you know you have a plan B. You can't come out timid. I know that you can't. Alabama's not the type of team you quote take what they give you because they will take everything from you. I I can I can deal with losing a game as long as you gave me your best effort and that's game plan included. I can deal with losing. I can't deal with man. We should have did this and man. We should have did that. No. And listen. Basically, we come we come into the center. We we in the locker room and we got all we all got tool belts on. Every tool you got in your on your tool belt, I need you to bring it today. It is not the job of a head coach slash offensive coordinator play caller to limit us in what we do because you are nervous. Last time I checked, Dan Mullen was never known as a big time football player. Only a big time football coach. Give them the best plays. Trust that they can execute it. And if they can't, they can't. But don't leave nothing, man, because I ain't with that. I mean the cup. What what they say? I mean the what the cupboard should be bare. It should be bare. It's Alabama. We'll do, listen. We'll we'll count the healthy bodies at the end of the game. But it shouldn't be nothing. It, it shouldn't be nothing left in there, uh, BJ. Because this is when you earn your money. They gave you one point five million dollars. You know, extended to uh, extension in the uh, in the off season. Go out there and show you can call some players against a defense that can hopefully bring out you know bring out the best in you. And I think Dan Mullen will. Spotlight on Gainesville. Alabama coming to the swamp should be a lot of fun Saturday afternoon. A lot of college football talk coming your way today on the show. When we come back, a lot of questions entering the season about quarterbacks in the SEC. Who are the top half guys? Our, our top seven quarterbacks in the SEC. We'll give you our list next. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. See, BJ Bennett, Ben True back here with you. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Now, Ben. We have not had a lot of football. We've had a couple of games. And in some instances, you've had quarterbacks who haven't even played two full games. But entering the season, if you go back to the summer storylines in the SEC, arguably one of the top ones was, okay, what are we what are we looking at at quarterback? Got to replace a lot of guys. You have some inexperience. And we've had a few weeks now to process uh, what the SEC has at that position. You've had Bryce Young. Look exceptional. Matt Corral, pretty good. Bo Nix has had a great start. What I want to do is I want to look at who we think is in the top half of the SEC at the quarterback position. So instead of doing a top five, let's do a top seven uh, quarterbacks right now in the SEC. If Kevin were here, he'd say, look, start from the bottom, seven to one. So let's do it that way, our top seven quarterbacks right now in the SEC. Well, BJ, I mean, my top seven, I mean, and I'm going to start from seven. I'm, I'm going to go from seven back, seven to one. I have a seven A and a seven B, so maybe I have a top eight. My number seven is – I was going to say, Kevin wouldn't like that. Now. Kevin, Kevin wouldn't, wouldn't like, like that. that. But, you know, but Kevin isn't here, so when Kevin is away, we will play. So I'm just saying, right now I got eight. My number seven is Stetson Bennett. And the reason why I say he's number seven is he's under different level. Stetson Bennett could be number one. You know why? Because he's under different level of scrutiny. Most of these guys on this list do not got big time postseason aspirations. They are not. They do not have the hopes and dreams of an entire uh, school and university on their back. Stetson Bennett to me is a guy. Don't blame him for how well he played against UAB because had he played bad, we will be jumping all over him. So for me, Stetson Bennett is my seven A. My seven B is Zeb Nolan. Zeb Nolan, forget playing. He he was a coach. He was coaching the quarterbacks, and now he's throwing. Now he's the best, you know, option they have. And I know, I know that people are not going to give him a lot of credit for what he was able to, do, especially in that second game. But look, find a way to get it done. When we, you know, Beamer Ball is 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 alive and well, and Zeb Nolan had a lot to do with this. My number six, Will Levis. 
Kentucky. Kentucky has a passing game. You don't got to like it. You don't got to like how it looks, but it looks efficient to me. And once again, what have we been talking about with Kentucky since? You know, Kentucky's going to bring certain things. The defense, an offensive line, and a running game. Well, now they got a passer. Don't know how good or bad he is yet, BJ, but for two weeks, he looks good to me. My number five, Bo Nix. I know the competition has not been up to par. They average 60 points a game. But once again, if Bo Nix played bad, what we would be saying? Oh, my God, same old Bo Nix. Bo Nix needed to what? Learn how to be efficient with the football. And thus for, and you had Tank Bigsby in that running game. So I, I like what I'm saying for Bo Nix, but I will see how good he is once the competition you know, gets better. My number four, AR-15, Anthony Richardson, highlight reel. Every t- listen, for a limited amount of snaps, the young man – it's, I mean, I'm just about electric as it, as it gets. I mean, Emory Jones, the starter, he should feel very, uh, very, very nervous. I've, I've always said your stiffest competition should not be the guy on, you know, uh, across from you. It should be the guy in your meeting room. And for, and, for, and, and, uh, and for Emory Jones, it is Mr. Anthony Richardson. My number three, Will Rogers. Mississippi State lives and dies with throwing the football. There is no balance. If, if, it doesn't, if, the, if it doesn't work on first down, throw it again on second down. Doesn't work on second, throw it again on third. Guess what? If it's third and long or third and short, Will Rogers is going to have the same level of scrutiny on him because Coach Mike Leach, he is very, very stubborn. And B.J., he is hell-bent on making sure that the air raid works in the SEC West. But I give Will Rogers a lot of credit. I think he's only going to get better as the year goes on. My number two, Matt Corral, picked up where he left off last year. Second year in Lane Kiffin's offense, looked really, really fluent. And listen, when they really get into that playbook and really start calling plays. Matt Corral got a big time arm, man. Might be my best, you know, might be the best overall quarterback in the SEC when you look at where he plays and how he's doing it. He doesn't have the cast of characters that, that other teams have. And my number one, I mean, Bryce Young, I mean, can't even tell that this is his first his first year starting at Alabama. He's seen the guys that come before him. I mean, you go from Jalen to Tua to Mac, and now you got Bryce. Bryce is about as good as advertised what he did week one against Miami. He made Miami look like Miami of Ohio, not the Canes. I'm just saying, the kid is ready for big-time BJ, but and, – and obviously Mike Gators going to have to deal with him this weekend. You know, going back through the list, Stetson Ben is my 7A, Zeb Nolan my, my 7B, Will Levis, Bo Nix, Anthony Ridges, and Will Rogers – Matt Corral, and the young man out of Tuscaloosa who goes by the first name of Bryce. I love it. I love the fact that you had a 7A and 7B. <laughs> also, Anthony Richardson, I like that you have him that high. I'm Anthony Richardson, for me, in a special category, hadn't started a game yet. I'm going to hold him out of the top seven. But, yeah, he's been remarkable. And I think we see a lot of him on Saturday against Alabama. I mean, what he's doing, the big play, is just absurd. But I'm, but I'm going to keep him on the outside for right now because we haven't seen a start. I am going to go with Stetson Bennett at seven. Uh, you know, got in there, limited action, obviously doesn't have two full games of play, but was was tremendous, was elite against UAB, set records. Georgia's program record for touchdown passes in a single game is five. Stetson did that in the first half. And I do have uh, some numbers in addition to the point you made, Ben. He's always there. You know, Georgia with the highest of expectations needed Stetson Bennett, came out and was great. The national leader, once you meet a certain statistical threshold of pass attempts in passer rating, is Bailey Zapp at Western Kentucky. His passer rating is 209.5. Now, Stetson doesn't quite have the pass attempts to rank officially, but that's that that's 209.5. That's that would be a new record for Bailey Zapp at Western Kentucky. Stetson's passer rating is 431. 431. It is twice 
what the national leader uh, uh, passer rating is right now. And again, we've only seen him for a couple of quarters and uh, a few drives in the third. We'll see how much we see him on Saturday, but he's done a great job. Number six for me, K.J. Jefferson at Arkansas. And Beckham was one of the top playmakers in a signature game for the Razorbacks. I mean, that's one of the best wins we've seen this season is Arkansas not only beating Texas, but hey, Texas, you're coming over to the SEC. Here's a 40-burger. Drop 40 points on the Longhorns. And K.J. Jefferson threw two games, 162 yards rushing. And that ability, in addition to his ability to throw the ball downfield, has made Arkansas, I think, one of the best stories to the start of this college football season. Number six for me, Will Levis has put up some big numbers. Uh, you've seen him really give Kentucky a downfield dynamic, Ben, which is which has been something new for them. Uh, he's averaging 12.4 yards per pass attempt. So when you talk about a downfield dynamic, he's second nationally in yards per pass attempt behind only Grayson McCall. So he's throwing that thing downfield. Number four, Will Rogers. I'm with you. At Mississippi State, if you're going to be the quarterback, you're going to throw it every play. You got to be able to handle that. He's completing 75% of his passes, 75% of his passes. Now, it got it got weird in that first game against Louisiana Tech, but Rodgers made some big plays late and looked really good against a really good NC State team. Maybe the most interesting guy on this list for me, Ben, Bo Nix at number three. He's played a lot. I mean, we forget beat Oregon in a matchup with Justin Herbert in what his first college game has already won the Iron Bowl, but had some disappointing numbers a year ago. Has not played at SEC competition yet, but right now 74% passing and leads to the top offense in the country. Auburn has the number one offense in the country right now, so I'm impressed with what I've seen out of Bo. I'll put him at number three. Number two, Matt Corral, you're right. Uh, 10.2 yards per pass attempt, six touchdowns, no picks. He's perfect for the Lane Kiffin offense, great player. And then number one, and I still don't think we're giving this guy enough credit. You mentioned it. Bryce Young, okay, if you're Bryce Young, you come into the season and you look over your shoulder. Not only are you at Alabama, okay, where the expectations are unrelenting. The last three quarterbacks before you, Matt Jones, set a single-season passer rating record for college football. Tua, who did that before Mac, and then Jalen Hurts, who was a great player at Alabama, took two teams to the college football playoff, was a Heisman Trophy finalist. You're looking around going, I have to be – historically proficient to maintain the status quo, and he has been. That first game against Miami, a top 15 team, 344 and four touchdowns. That a, a new record for Alabama for touchdown passes in a first start and tied Joe Namath uh, and, and, and I believe uh, Tua with that record. So Bryce Young for me, one. Matt Corral, two. Bo Nix, three. Will Rogers, four. Will Levis, five. KJ Jefferson, six. And I will put Stetson at seven. I'm really excited to see more of your guy, Anthony Richardson. But in your mind, how how good is this group? I know the last couple of years you've had elite quarterback play in the SEC. Are we seeing that so far this year in your mind? I, I do. I do. Because, because you got guys that got very, very different skill sets. I think Matt Corral is silky smooth. I think Bryce Young is just – I mean, he's just mature beyond his years. But I think the, the most impressive guy on this list is Stetson Bennett because of the circumstances. Everybody wants to talk about what, what he was able to do in the first half. Well – you know what kind of pressure he's under? Says the minute he's on Twitter, he's on social media, he hears what the national narrative is about this Georgia team, and he has to keep that going. Listen, we don't know how long JT Daniels is going to be out, but Stetson Bennett proved in 2020 I could be relied upon. I went out there. I wasn't, listen, I wasn't your first choice. 
I wasn't your second choice. I probably wasn't your third, but I was the best choice when you look at what he was able to provide in 2020. 2021, this guy was what, third or fourth on the depth chart? You know, out there trying to, you know, uh, be on the help team. And all of a sudden, they jump over Carson Beck. Hey, Stetson, we need you to jump in against UAB. You need me to start? Yes. And not only do we need you to start, we need you to play very, very efficient. We need you to get this passing game, you know, back on track. So let me get this straight. JT Daniels, who's supposed to be the guy who's hurt, you want me to go out there and do it? Yep. And did it look at sync? Yep. Stetson Bennett is a very, very impressive guy. We talk about Stetson Bennett because of his genetics. Not because of his game. Listen, the guy got game. And Zeb Nolan is very, very impressive as well because if you were there to coach, he had given up on football. Football is in the back burner. I'm coaching quarterbacks. Hey, man, you got a year of eligibility left. Shane Beamer comes to him and said, we want you to play. Not only do we want you to play, we want you to start. So, BJ, yes, I, I'm very, very impressed with all these guys. I think each guy is built for the team they're on, not just the skill set that they possess. Bryce Young is built to be at Alabama. Matt Corral was built to be in a lane kiffin offense. Will Rogers, I mean, I'm pretty sure he walks around with an ice pack on all day, every day, because he throws more than anybody in college football that's not in the Big 12 or the Big 10. So, I'm very, very – K.J. Jefferson, AR-15. And whether we mention you or not, the quarterback, the quarterback play in the SEC, BJ, they are all playing well at the same time, not just bits and pieces here and there. So dare I say, hey, I know people are always saying that everybody, it was good in the SEC, but the quarterback position, well, that's a thing of the past. Now all these guys are leading the way, and dare I say, uh, making sure they are the faces for these uh, for their uh, colleges and universities. And obviously a couple of guys injured. We're, we're, we're not putting in there right now. JT Daniels, uh, 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 of course, I think we'll see him back in a few weeks. And, and Miles Brennan with LSU and Max Johnson still there. So some good quarterback play in the SEC. Heisman Trophy type guys at the top. Now, Bo Nix has had a great start to the season. He and Auburn have Penn State Saturday night. How, do, how on earth do we know what to expect from Auburn? We'll get into that next. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio. Both times, 60 or more, as we're back here with you, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Auburn scored 60 in week one, 62 in week two. Now, you're playing Penn State on the road on Saturday night. Going to be an incredible atmosphere. Penn State has one of the best defenses in the country. Penn State allowing 11.5 points per game. So going to be a great test for Auburn, for Bo Nix, as we've talked about. How, how do we know what Auburn is? I mean, you haven't played a tough schedule yet. I think the expectations during the preseason were modest. I think most people thought there would be a transition, even with two great coordinator hires, obviously, uh, for, for, for Brian Harson. But when you look at this team, is this a team that we should expect to go to Happy Valley and win? Or is this a team where there are still question marks, new staff, is Bo Nix ready to do it week to week? You have Tank Bigsby. Defensively, you've been great as well. Kind of what's your feeling with where we are here with Auburn? I think it's everything you said. I mean, they are. Coach Harson is trying to. He, he's trying to. He's trying to implement his plan on the team, BJ. And look, as far as I can remember in college football, if you go up against two teams that are far less talented than you, you're supposed to pad your stats. But you know what you do when you pad your stats? You build confidence because you know what's coming. Penn State. The you know Penn State Zombie Nation might be the best atmosphere in college football. It's at night. It's prime time. Everybody's gonna be watching. But BJ, if Stetson Bennett is probably the most interesting player in, in the SEC. The most intriguing might be Bo Nix because Bo Nix didn't, didn't make the jump from his freshman year to sophomore year. Bo Nix already won the Iron Bowl. 
Bo Nix already beat Justin Herbert. You're talking about first game of the year. Bo Nix only Bo Nix lost by three. I keep on saying Bo, but Bo Nix lost by three points to the 2019 LSU Tigers. So it's not like this moment is too big for him. Bo Nix had to be slowed down. So what you do? You bring in Coach Harson that has a that has a certain offensive uh, you know, philosophy. You know, and, you, and then you start talking about Coach Bobo, another different another a run-oriented offensive philosophy. Did you even though he's gonna benefit from this, you bring in Derek Mason, a guy who can he can coach defense. So now they made it less about one guy and put the focus on more of the team. People talk about Tank Bigsby in that running game, but BJ, that's huge because that's balance. They put this on that boat. We want you to be efficient with the football. I we get we get caught up in the box scores, right? We want to see the 350 yards. No. What Stetson Bennett did this weekend against UAB, that's all you really want. I mean, I'm not I'm, I'm not saying you're gonna have five touchdowns on 12 throws, but Efficient with the football. What's scary about Bo Nix, BJ, is we don't know how good or bad he really is. Bo Nix could end up being the best quarterback in the SEC this year. He's he still got to play LSU, still got to play AM, you know, still got to play uh Georgia, still got to play uh Alabama. So who knows how good he's gonna be? We're gonna learn a lot about him because hostile environment. Is it gonna be more hostile than LSU? No. Is it going to be more hostile at Alabama? No. Is it going to be more hostile than the 12th man? No. So when people start saying, Bo needs to go to a hostile environment, he plays at Auburn. He plays Alabama, LSU, and A&M every year, and Georgia every year. So I understand that it's prime time, third game of the year. We got, you know, BJ, once again, we are shaping narratives. Penn State defense is good. But guess what? We don't know how good our Auburn defense is. Tank Bisbee, we know, is one of the top backs in the country. Point blank, some consider him the top back in the SEC. So, but I do think it comes down to Bo Nix and how he plays. And BJ, if he's efficient with the football, he can make any throw. As long as he doesn't try to do that freelance stuff he was doing last year, just trying to, you know, he was seeing ghosts. I know that's, I know that Sam Darnold said, but he was, he's seeing things that aren't there. This year, Coach Harshon him, honed him back, got him, got him playing, you know, uh, very, very efficient. And did I say, BJ, what happens if they beat, what if they blow out Penn State? Are they officially right, right, good right. at that point? Here's here's where we should take this. That's a great question because if you go back once more to the preseason in the SEC, it was Alabama, understandably. It was Georgia, obviously. It was who's going to be number two in the West. Is it Texas A&M, who let's not forget, was fifth in the country in the final polls, or is it going to be LSU, who won the national title two years ago? There were a lot of people, myself included, I'll call myself out and we'll see how it all plays out, but who also had – Ole Miss ahead of Auburn in the preseason SEC West standings. Then maybe you go over and even Florida could be better than Auburn. Okay, Auburn's 2-0 and and they've dominated both games. If they win this game, where where, where is Auburn? I, if they win this game, A&M has health issues at quarterback, has not looked great. If they win Saturday night at Penn State, big if – are they suddenly the clear top contender to Alabama out west? Yes, BJ, and I don't know why we act like that's not the case every single year. Take away 2019, right? Let's take away 2019 for a second. When's the last time LSU been that good? Since 2019, right? Haynes King is out right now for Texas A&M. They're going to struggle even with all those, even with all the uh, the guys they got on offense. So Auburn is Auburn understands what's at stake every single year. So I don't and, and and look and I'm gonna say this, BJ. It kind of goes back to Florida, Alabama. If Auburn loses to Penn State, they can still be uh, the, the the top contender, to, depending on how they play, right? So Auburn is used to this. Auburn is used to 
Auburn is under, Auburn's understand we share the same state with the golden stand with the gold standard of college football. We know that we're just little old Auburn, right? We understand that no matter what we do, it's not as good as Alabama would have done it. We understand that Bo Nix is never ever as good as Mac Jones or Tua or Jalen or now Bryce Young. Two years into college football, how many people can say they beat Alabama? I'll wait. Not too many people can say that. Georgia can't say it. LSU can say it one time in 2019. But they had one of the best teams ever to do it. So, yes, BJ, we're going to learn a lot about Penn State because we act like Penn State has just arrived too. We act like Penn State. BJ, could Penn State be the Auburn of their conference? I mean, they could be facing mirror images of each other. They got big, bad Ohio State. And they almost beat them, but they kind of, you know, they kind of like, uh, you know, uh, don't get it done in the stretch. So I think that this is going to – all the pressure is on Penn State. They're at home. Zombie Nation. What happens is Auburn come up in that BJ and not just beat them but wax them. We need to start giving credit where credit is due. If college football is equal, FBS, FCS, deep division, I don't want to hear it. 60 points a game is 60 points a game. Because if they was coming out laying eggs, what would we be saying about Auburn going into this game? So I'm going to give Auburn credit. Coach Harson and Coach Bobo are working wonders right now for Bo Nix. He seems to be playing. He seems to not be trying to do too much. And when you take a talented player who wants to be coach, who, who, who recognizes what his flaws are, and he doesn't he, – he's not, he's not giving a lot of pushback. He's just saying, coach me, coach, coach me. BJ, I know it's about Bryce Young and Matt Corral and, and you know, and Max Johnson and K.J. Jefferson, you know, and, and Will Rogers. Bo Nix go, I see y'all not talking about me. We could be staring at the, at, at the best quarterback in the SEC, period, not just the SEC West. And as long as nobody's talking about you, they over there scoring 60 points a game, building confidence. Coach Franklin, be careful with this Auburn team because I'm telling you, BJ, if Bo Nix is at his best, there ain't too many quarterbacks in the country better than him. We'll get a chance to see if he get to show that off on Saturday night. Well, and Bo got the, what, the sweet tea sponsorship, a couple of marketing deals in the preseason, off to a really good start. But I want to uh, go back to something you said about the coaching staff. Give Brian Harson a lot of credit coming in from Boise State, because you may say, oh, they beat an FCS team, uh, you know, haven't, you know, a mid-major, haven't played a great schedule. Well, there are a lot of teams around the country losing those games, okay? Florida State loses to Jacksonville State. Washington loses to Montana. You're seeing upsets all over the place. And not only has Auburn won, they've, they've dominated to this extent. They have the number one offense in the country. Shout out to Mike Bobo. They also have the number one defense in the country, tied with Georgia in terms of points per game allowed. Now, you might want to get technical and say what 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 you saw Georgia give up was not an offensive touchdown, but Auburn right now, number one in total offense, tied for number one in scoring defense. So, Brian Harson deserves a ton of credit, but coordinator hires are so important. And Mike Bobo's done a great job. Derek Mason has done a fantastic job. I think that was the expectation, but credit Brian Harson absolutely but his coordinators have done a great job so far, and I think they're going to be on display Saturday night up at uh, up in Happy Valley. Yeah, BJ, and uh, once again, Alabama, right? We thought they're the biggest hires uh, in the offseason, you know, with Coach Bill O'Brien, Coach Doug Marone, offensive coordinator and, and uh, you know, offensive line coach. Well, give Auburn a lot of credit. Coach Brian Harson, I mean, real similar to what Shane Beamer said, where he's like, listen, man, when I'm, the, when, I'm the, when I'm on the staff at Oklahoma, I'm watching SEC Network, they – Brian Harson understands that to be great as a coach, I need great coordinators. I mean, great coordinators. So the thing about Mike Bobo, 
Is this style of offense upbeat? Nope, it's boring. But guess what it does? It wins games. Kevin Harris, you know who's missing him right now? I mean, you know who Kevin Harris is missing? Mike Bobo, because he got featured last year. And outside of Najee Harris, I mean, he was, he was what, top two uh, in the SEC. What Derrick Mason brings to the table is an attitude. Say what you want about Alabama and Derrick Mason's tenure. They always had a good defense. It's, it doesn't mean they're going to win games, but it kept them in games. And, BJ, they're building confidence. When you're winning games, you got to go back. You got to break it down to the X and O's. Am I where I'm supposed to be when the, when, I'm, when the quarterback gets to his drop? Am I where I'm supposed to be in the progression? If I'm on defense, am I, am I stepping to my gap? Am I where I'm supposed to be when they stop the tape? So, don't look at the end result. They blowing guys out. No, that's execution. Nobody gets mad at Alabama when they coaching with two minutes left in the quarter. You don't think that's what Derrick Mason doing? You don't think that's what Bobo's doing or Harson's doing? I have to be able to either emulate or match what the best team in my conference does. And Auburn is on the crash course right now, BJ. If Auburn, dare I say, is undefeated going into the Iron Bowl, that what? is going to put all dude, the pressure. Whoa. Okay, so far in this segment, I'm, I'm just saying. Nicks could be the best quarterback in the country. I, uh, Auburn might blow out Penn State. And now undefeated going into the Iron Bowl. I, 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 I like listen, listen, listen. But that's what we do, right? We pull scenarios. BJ, if we're gonna if we're gonna give Bo Nix credit for what he did his true freshman year, and I understand he took a step back his sophomore year, it ain't outside of Matt Corral. What is he? Do he got no Matt Corral? Matt Corral might be the only one with more experience than Bo Nix. Might be. So everybody else, these are newcomers: KJ Jefferson and JT Daines and these guys. So give credit when credit is due. Bo Nix is a good player. I'm not saying he's gonna win the Heisman. I'm not saying he's going to be a Heisman finalist. But, B.J., if coming out of this weekend everybody's watching and he light up that box score, it's going to be Bo Nix, Bo Nix, Bo Nix. We don't control narratives in the media. We just shape them. And if we and if he does what I think he can do and Zombie Nation, I know one guy on our network who's going to hate it, but the world, the college football world, going to love it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Penn State hosting Auburn on Saturday night. A lot more to get to. B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop here with you. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Moisture issues, some consistency issues along the infield. Rain today. Braves were supposed to have an afternoon game with Colorado. That has been rescheduled, postponed for a later date. So no Braves baseball Today, while we're talking college football, Ben, some unfortunate news to get to. I know Georgia Southern's had some tough injury news with a couple of guys and uh, star cornerback Derek Canteen, who tied for the national lead in interceptions a year ago, out for the season, unfortunately, with, with a torn pectoral. So Derek Canteen done for the season for Georgia Southern. Mr. Canteen, I mean, a BJ, a guy that's just a ball hawk. I mean, you put it in the air, he's going to be around it. But this Georgia Southern team going to have to rally the next man up. I know that's a cliche phrase, but, you know, uh, Coach uh, Coach Lunsford already was going to have an uphill battle with a team like Arkansas. It, replacing a guy like Canteen might have to come from a group effort, not just an individual player. But, yeah, you feel bad uh, for the young man. But injuries, is, it's not a matter of if, but when. When they happen and how you bounce back. Going to learn a lot about that defensive secondary, BJ, who's going to have to be at their best with an Arkansas team that seems to be playing better football, definitely coming off that big win, you know, against some Tennessee Vols. Yeah, I wish Derek the best. Unfortunate news, injuries to a couple of guys, but uh, cornerback Derek Canteen out for the season. We have a lot more to get to in the final hour. Mike Griffith, Dog Nation, will join us. Should Georgia be on upset alert? 
this weekend. We'll take three when we come back. B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop. It is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We are streaming live ESPN Coastal. Play at a later date. We're going to have the final game of that three-game series this afternoon, but not today. So we're talking college football here with you. B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop. We have Cam Ushery alongside, and uh, we'll get to some questions College football-wise, some big-picture questions in the final hour. We'll also chat with Mike Griffith of Dog Nation. Is this a game that could be could be sneaky? A couple of years ago, South Carolina came to Athens. Could we have a tricky game on Saturday? We'll get into that. We'll also talk some Falcons, some interesting comments from Arthur Smith. We'll get to, but we'll throw it back to Cam here as we take three on a Thursday afternoon on 3 and Out. All right, guys, take three, take three. Glad to be back in here for one. That's a, that's a big thing. I was going to say, good to see you. Yeah, good, good to see you. <laughs> I'm bad to be back in here. But first question, who has been the most impressive running back in college football to you guys? Yeah, and, and a lot of guys. We were talking about, you know, seven or eight during the, uh, during the show meeting. I think for me, especially when you look at what he just did in a really big game for Kentucky against Missouri, I got to go Chris Rodriguez. And we've seen some great running backs come through Kentucky. Benny Snell was a star. But I, I think what he has done, and you've had balance with that offense now with, with Will Levis also, but I think you've seen Chris Rodriguez turn Kentucky or help elevate Kentucky uh, to a team that people are looking at in the SEC East going, Florida better be ready. Georgia better be ready. And Chris Rodriguez in a huge spotlight game against Missouri, rushed for over 200 yards. He had three rushing touchdowns and he had a receiving touchdown. So not only is Chris Rodriguez doing it out of the offensive backfield, he's been a factor in the passing game and he's really helping Kentucky play that style or brand of football we know they like to play where yes even though you have Levis throwing it downfield he can line up and he can carry it 20 24 times a game and when Levis does throw it downfield you have better more favorable coverages because of all that Chris Rodriguez does so he's a star the Gators better be ready for him in a couple of weeks Georgia better be ready for him give me Chris Rodriguez out of Kentucky Man, Cam and BJ, I mean, you know, going a lot, lot of great guys. I mean, I think Mr. Rodriguez is an incredible player. I mean, you got Deuce Vaughn, you got Tank Bigsby, you got Kevin Harris, but BJ, there's another young man at Auburn that's not getting a lot of credit. I, I mean, a lot not getting enough credit for me. I'm gonna go with Jarquez Hunter. He's now now he gets to go along with Tank Bigsby. The thing about Auburn, if people don't realize is you talk about a two backs going all the way back to my days of Ronnie Brown and Cadillac Williams. Whenever you got a freshman that's ready to step in, so now you got two guys. That means you're gonna have to have a healthy tank Bigsby, because you don't have to have the work have to have the workload being a workhorse. So for me, give me Jarquez Hunter, not only not only on the best rushing attack, on the best offense in college football after two years, give me Mr. Jarquez Hunter, them Auburn boys. I, I think that's a good one, Ben, but I have to agree with BJ right here. I got to go Chris Rodriguez. Um, be a little homer here. I mean, he's he's just doing great this year. I mean, his whole career, uh, second year, 533, third year, 785, and he's already at 331 in two games this year. Had a big game against Missouri. Um, I think he'll eclipse over 1,000 yards. I think he'll also get about maybe close to 15 rushing touchdowns this year. He's already at four in two games. So he's due for a big year. Uh, second question, take two. Will we ever hear Jordan Battle at the microphone ever again? Okay, Jordan Battle, a really, really good player for Alabama. You've probably seen it by now, but was uh, doing a uh, team press conference. 
and basically talked about some comments or some things, some sayings that Coach Saban likes to likes to use. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to reference what he said uh, on the air, but you can go see it. It's all over the Internet. And uh, the, the, the room, Ben, when he made the comments, started laughing. So you have media in the room laughing and uh, you know we've we, we've read some stories like this but comes out and says oh yeah coach Saban when he's you know uh, being funny or being sarcastic he'll say this or that and everybody in the room just just started laughing and uh, it's one of those things where I don't know I don't know necessarily that uh, coach Saban wanted that out there and and I don't I don't know that we'll see uh, Jordan to the question doing a ton of uh, press conferences, at least talking about that moving forward. But it, look, everybody in the uh, everybody in the room was laughing, cutting up. Uh, but yeah, I wonder if Coach Saban said, "Dude, dude, let's talk about the you know, you know, let's talk about our opponent for Saturday. Let's talk about trying to win the game." So yeah, I I don't know. We'll have to see. I would say I would say they would let him back in there. I would I wouldn't I wouldn't jump I would jump down the young man's throat too bad. I th- I think what happens is Cam and and uh, you know BJ you know. We forget that the media wants the media wants energy. They want personality. Most, let, let's face it, a lot of people aren't interested naturally. We, you're in a business where you have to cover 18 to 24 year olds. Jordan Battle, he's not he's not saying anything that's derogatory to the other team. Is it bulletin board material? Yes and no, maybe. But they asked him a question about his coach, and if I'm if I'm Coach Saban, I know who I'm dealing with. The only people who was shocked about what Jordan Battle said was the people he's saying it to. I mean, certain. I mean, you want. I want. I, you want to coach players that have personality on and off the field. You want people that are charismatic in in these. You know, uh, when they talking to the media. Now, Jordan was laughing himself, and if you're the media, you don't get a chance to just kind of laugh sometimes. And BJ Jordan didn't mean. He didn't mean it to come out with it, but he laughed because he knew that. Well, I already said it. I might as well laugh. I can't unsay it. But yeah, don't take, don't take the young man uh, away from talking to the media just because uh, he. You know, out of all the jokes that uh, you know. Uh, Nick Saban says he picked, he picked, you know, he picked a couple that might not have been the ones that Nick Saban would have wanted him to pick. But man, shout out to the man Jordan Battle. Don't want him to play well this weekend. But hey, man, he's a media darling, <laughs> BJ. And who can, and what can I say? I mean, media darlings are hard to come by. Jordan Battle has definitely established himself as that. Guys, uh, Nick Saban scares me. So anything that upset Nick Saban, it scares me even on TV. Um, I'll put it like this. You probably won't hear from him during the regular season. If they win a national championship, which normally that's what Bama does, you'll probably hear from him again. Um, It's just something that Nick Saban doesn't go for that. Uh, You can tell you can watch him on TV and you can tell he doesn't go for that. So will we hear from him again? I will say yes, not in the regular season, but definitely in the postseason, college football playoffs, SEC championship, maybe national championship if they get there. So I, I, I do a, I do a yes, but to a degree. Take three, last question. Who are the second best teams in the East and the West of the SEC? I think this is a little tougher for me out West. I'll start with the East. I think Florida's the second best team, and I feel like I've been consistent with that, and that's not breaking news. I mean, Kentucky's got a little more momentum now, and I think people are looking at the Wildcats, and understandably so. But as we've seen, Florida's good. I'm kind of surprised that so many people seem to be surprised that Florida's gotten off to a you know to a really good start and that you have guys who can make plays like like Anthony Richardson defensively Florida's been really strong uh, and, and that's even with we're talking about injuries been uh, 
wishing the best for uh, uh, Ventrell Miller, who's out for the season, a uh, great linebacker for Florida. But I think this is a defense that has experience and talent at every level. Big spotlight for Kyir Elam this weekend, matching up with John Mechie or Jamison Williams for Alabama. But Florida's good. And I do think we see a lot more of Anthony Richardson than Emory Jones. And I mean that with all due respect. But you've seen Anthony Richardson just be a dynamic playmaker the likes of which we haven't really seen in college football this year with the limited opportunities. I mean, maybe you kind of compare him to Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett, 12 throws, has five touchdowns. I think I think uh, Anthony Richardson has 11 throws and 11 rushes at this point, and he has four touchdowns. So uh, Florida for me in the East, and I feel really, you know, really good about that. I think they're number two. Out West, it's a little different because you talk through it, right? Texas A&M has not looked great. They had to struggle to get past Colorado. Their starting quarterback, Haynes King, going to be out for a couple of months. I think I'm going to have to take a pause there. LSU has not looked great. I mean, really got beat soundly out at UCLA. We'll see more from LSU moving forward. Auburn has the nation's top offense and defense, but we learn more about them coming up on Saturday. I think for right now, today, I'm going to say Ole Miss. Matt Corral, you know what you're going to get from him. I mean, you look at the quarterbacks in the SEC. Bryce Young has been the best. I think Corral's been right there. Uh, Jerry Ely, Ben, I know you're a big fan of him. He can do it all. Uh, Lane Kiffin. And, and that was a really impressive win against Louisville, guys. To beat Louisville on a neutral site uh, and, and, to, and to convincingly win that game, I'm not counting out AM. I'm not counting out LSU. I'm not counting out Auburn. I'm just putting them, putting them on pause. And, I mean, heck, Arkansas might have the best resume of everybody right now. So this is a tough question, but for right now, I think I might lean Ole Miss because of Matt Corral. I do think Florida, you know, no no bias here, but I do think Florida is the second best team in the East because they understand their barometer is, uh, you know, is uh, is Athens. They know that they got to keep pace with those boys from Athens. That you see what uh, that defense from George is doing, BJ. And I know that if you are Dan Mullen, he understands what it takes uh, to just get wins. It's not about how it looks; it's about getting it done. Just being one and zero after each week. I mean, I think it's more of a a quarterback, uh, you know, a quarterback. Uh, I don't think it's a, a quarterback controversy. More than just, you know, a, you know, good problems with the quarterback position. Hopefully, Emory Jones will start playing better with AR-15. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I mean, right there behind him trying to, you know, trying to vie for that starting spot. Maybe even end up, uh, you know, superseding him, at, you know, for the starting quarterback spot. But I do think Florida is number two, even though I think the Mizzou and Kentucky are very, very impressive. And Tennessee has shown me more in two games than I thought I would see at this point. As far as, like, the SEC West, BJ, I think it is Auburn. Think about this for a second. Jarquez Hunter, I talked about him being, the, you know, uh, my most, uh, you know, impressive back, you know, to tag team with Tank Bixby. You talk about Coach Harson, you talk about Coach Bobo, you talk about Derek Macy, you talk about being the number one offense, being the number one defense, building confidence. And Bo Nix has been here before. Bo Nix, outside of Matt Corral, is the second most experienced quarterback in the SEC. Bryce Young gets the benefit of having all the five stars around him. Matt Corral, while he's second year in that Lane Kiffin offense, that defense still has proven to me to be, I don't know, kind of suspect. I still got to see more at the game, too. Haynes King is no longer there in Texas A&M. And LSU, well, Max Johnson, maybe you showed your best act in last year in the swamp against my against my Gators. I'm going to go with Auburn until proven until proven uh, different, BJ, because just like with Florida and Alabama this weekend, whether, Al- whether Auburn wins or loses against Penn State, they still have everything in front of them. But if Auburn beats Penn State, they build a more confidence. That means, and they still got LSU, they still got Ole Miss, they still got Mississippi State, they still got uh, Texas A&M and Alabama coming. Give me them Auburn boys, because, B.J., every time we look past Auburn, 
They supersede expectations. It's when they come into the season with expectations that they lay an egg. So for me, give me them boys from Auburn. Guys, I'm gonna start off West. Um, I wish we were doing buy, sell, hold because I would love to see what Auburn does uh, this weekend against Penn State. I would love to, and I, I could completely answer this question. Arkansas is impressive. They just blew the doors off of Texas. Um, they're impressive. But, guys, I'm going to have to go with Ole Miss like BJ said. And and here's one reason why. Um, it's question marks with Texas A&M. I just don't think they're that good this year. Auburn, we have to see what they do this week. They haven't really played anybody. Arkansas, impressive win against Texas. I don't know if they're there. But if you look at Ole Miss's schedule, we know at Alabama. They gave them a scare last year. Okay, we'll give you that loss. If you look at the rest of their schedule, it's kind of in their favor. Um, they have a few road games, a road game at Auburn, um, a home game at Liberty, and a home game at Arkansas and uh, LSU. And then after that, I, I, I just see them losing maybe two games this year. Um, if Alabama wasn't in the SEC West, this is probably like the most interesting division in college football because after Alabama, all the teams are even. So, but I'll go Ole Miss. I think they're just the most, the most, definitely the most flashy team, the best offense, and I think Lane Kiffin knows what he's doing. Now going out east, I, I, you know, Ben's my guy. I know, you know, I hope Ben doesn't dislike me after saying this, but I gotta go Kentucky. Um, and one reason why is when you can run the ball like the way they do, definitely against Missouri. Missouri's not a bad team. Uh, last year they was a top 25 team at some point when they played Georgia. They're not a bad team. You can control the um, control the clock, run the ball. They can pass. I just don't see. Uh, they already got Missouri out the way. I don't see Tennessee as a threat. Florida, yeah, they've looked pretty impressive, but you know we're going to see what they. Obviously they play Bama this week, but we're going to see what they're made of this weekend and a few weeks later. So, but give me the Kentucky Wildcats, man. I think they started off strong, so I definitely go with Kentucky. Yeah, that's interesting because you can certainly make an argument for Kentucky. We'll see that game in a few weeks, Florida and Kentucky. Out West is tough, out, and I don't feel great about it, but I have to pause kind of where I am with some of those other teams, but I agree. Auburn Auburn wins this weekend, Ben, as you've essentially basically called for. Watch out. Watch out if Auburn wins big. We'll come back. Got more to get to. We'll talk some Falcons next. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Tampa Bay on the road. So good luck with that. With, with Tom Brady and company and a chance you're talking about an 0-2 start. How can you move forward from that? But uh, recently, Arthur Smith uh, said, along with some other comments, he said, quote, I don't need consultation. Like, oh, console me. Get the hell out of here. We're big boys. It's professional football. And Arthur Smith basically basically owning up. Look, we did not look good in week one, but I don't need any, you know, I don't, I don't need anybody, you know, coming in here telling me this and that. Your thoughts as uh, somebody who was in the league, obviously, on those comments from Coach Smith. I appreciate him because he's he's saying right now, I don't want you guys – I mean, because he understands how powerful the media shapes narratives, and he don't want to be one of those coaches that's already got built-in excuses. We got beat, point blank, period. They outplayed us from the open from the opening kickoff to the last second on the clock. We don't – we are, this, is, this, is, this is where the best players in the world play. We are good enough to go out there and play and compete against anybody that we play against. And because Aaron BJ is one of those things to where if I'm not going to make excuses when we lose – I'm, I mean, I'm not going to make excuses when we win. I'm not going to make excuses when we lose. So I can appreciate that. That resonates with his team. So any player that come, that wants to start you know, pointing the finger, you better point it back at yourself. Arthur Smith knows that the Atlanta Falcons are a team that has to fight to stay relevant every single 
Yeah, they're not this story franchise like the Green Bay Packers or the Oakland Raiders, you know, you know, or the New England Patriots that get the benefit of the doubt when they're not good. They have to be good every single year, and they are the only team in the division. Well, I'm sorry, they are one of two teams in the division to have a regular season MVP, uh, with the other one being Tom Brady. So I, I respect it. I want a coach that's gonna let me know who he is in front of the media and who he is in front of me as a, as a as a player and and the team. People always talk about Andre B.J. A great man once said, listen, you shouldn't patronize people, right? They were patronizing Arthur Smith. Don't patronize me. Don't, don't, don't give me that Dan Smith. It's okay. It's not okay. Because if it was, I wouldn't be here and Dan Smith would still be here. So I respect it because, I mean, Dan Smith, Dan Quinn, by the way. I mean, Dan, and, I, and, I, and I just think sometimes, B.J., in, in professional sports, guys start, you know, being wishy-washy with these coaches, I don't think I don't think Arthur Smith went to the went to the uh, journalism school of Bill Belichick, but it ain't far from it. If I'm a, if I'm going to establish myself and have my persona or my personality resonate throughout the, throughout my entire team, you're gonna get a hard nosed team that's gonna play hard that will not make excuses when we lose. Because BJ, that was a flat out dud on Sunday. It was ugly. The Atlanta Falcons, just like the Clemson Tigers, did not get in the end zone in Week One. That is unacceptable. So yes, I respect it. And I respect it more now being a former player because when I was a current player, I thought that stuff was kind of harsh. But, BJ, I mean, this is no excuses. This is National Football League. Get with it or get lost. It, the best way to say it is this. The great, the great Mike Monkchet told me that when, when you're not a professional, you do stuff to get it right. When you are a professional, you do it so you don't know how to get it wrong. Arthur Smith don't want those excuses. Arthur Smith said, look, I'm a football coach. I'm not a FedEx worker. I didn't go into the family business. I wanted to pave my own way. This is how he did it. I respect it. Hopefully, that helps in week two, BJ, because if they lay an egg in week two, I'm going to see what his press – these going to be some very, very entertaining press conferences. Yeah, Coach Smith keeping it real, and and I wanted to get your thoughts. Not even if they been laying egg in week two, but you could play well, given that you're playing Tampa, and lose and lose by a couple of scores. I mean, but the expectations are there. Fair, unfair, the expectations are you need to contend for a playoff spot. And even though you're in a tough division, even though you have a new coach, even though you got rid of Julio, you need to contend for a playoff spot. If you're 0-2 in the National Football League, and I don't have the data, the numbers in front of me, how many teams have made the playoffs with an 0-2 start. I mean, if you're 0-2, is that something you can regroup from? New coaching staff, find your way, get hot, and still contend? Or is 0-2 a problem for this football team? It's a huge problem. I know, you, I know you've added a game, so now you got 17 games, but it's a huge problem because the only thing that resonates with a team is when you're winning. So everything that's being said, even the people buying in, things that's being preached to these players, it only seeps in when you're winning. All that stuff that they hire you for, you get fired for when you're losing. This is a bottom line business. The bottom line, you ain't getting it done. Now, I know it's week one, but it's who you got beat by, BJ. And I'm not talking about the Eagles as a team. I'm talking about Jalen Hurts as a player. He made y'all look pedestrian on defense, and I know that the Eagles are good. Are they that good? It's not like Atlanta wasn't in the red zone. I mean, we heard so much about Kyle Pitts, and it's not his fault. Four catches, 31 yards. Come on, we got to be more creative than that. You're, you're starting, your leading rusher was a receiver, Cordell Patterson, not Mike Davis. I saw Matty Ice out there diving for first downs in year 13, diving. 
and not sliding but diving. He could have got a, he could have got hit. So yes, BJ, it is overreaction after week one, but Arthur Smith is gonna have to get it right in a hurry. And no bigger no bigger opportunity with Tampa Bay because they're gonna be the barometer all year. Try to get a if you're not gonna get a win, make sure you are competitive in a losing effort because Arthur Smith is gonna have to earn his stripes. He has done nothing to garner the respect of his team other than they, he is the head coach. The only thing we respect is winning and getting it done, and right now he is doing neither. It's gut check time for the Falcons. BJ Bennett, Ben Troop here with you, and it, and it you know clearly appears Coach Smith is is owning that, is saying, listen, we know we have to do better. That was a disappointing performance all the way around against Philadelphia. Uh, how do you, what do you do against Brady? I mean, I know we've chatted with some guests this week who say you have to attack. Well, that's not necessarily the strongest. I mean, pass rushers, where are they? Who can consistently get to the quarterback? Is this a situation where schematically you trust your young defensive backs? Let's keep in mind, you're talking about young guys, A.J. Terrell, Richie Grant, uh, Isaiah Oliver. You're talking about young players in the defensive backfield. Is this one of those situations where it kind of just is what it is? You're going to have to bring pressure. You're going to have to blitz. And I know you have Gronk. I know you have Mike Evans. I know you have Antonio Brown and Tom Brady's throwing the ball. But is the reality of the situation, you're still going to have to bring pressure. Yes, you're going to have to bring pressure, but you're going to have to be creative in what you do behind that pressure. I don't think I think you're going to have to bring pressure with with a, with a with some level of zone and man on the you know on behind it because you didn't you didn't get there last weekend against a mobile quarterback you know in Jalen Hurts. The thing about Tampa, the thing about Tom Brady, he's not he's not mobile, but he's very very smart. He knows what you're trying to do to him before every single snap. But you're going to have to try to protect a young secondary. And I think for me, BJ, if you are Atlanta, look, go out there and just go get back to what you're doing. If you can't blitz Brady uh, consistency, you're going to have to do it with your front four, Dante Fowler. You know, when you talk about, you know, uh, Marlon Davidson, when you talk about, you know, uh, Grady Jazz and those guys, you're going to have to go out there because you. this is a team in your division. You're very familiar with them. They bring back all 22 starters. It's not like – and if you watch Tampa Bay the first, first game, you got to stop Gronk, you got to stop Antonio Brown. Good luck with that. I mean, it's not like Leonard Fournette looked like a world beater in week one running the football, but as long as you got Tom Terrific and he's got time on the clock, he can beat you. It, it might – listen, BJ, it might be like week one for uh, Tampa and Dallas. It might it might be the last person holding the football. I, I would like a good old, you know, gun you know, uh, you know, know uh, gunslinging uh, contest between Matty Ice and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Tom Brady. But for me, it's about it's just trying to establish some level, you know, uh, of continuity on offense and defense. Get Kyle Pitts the ball. What is the problem? Flex him out. Put him on the slot corner, put him on the safety, put him on the linebacker, throw the ball to him. And if you're Cordell Patterson, who seems to be your, your bell cow right now running back, even though he's 6'3", hand the ball off because you're going to have to play complimentary offense. But, yes, BJ, it's Tampa. You're familiar with them. You're not scared of them. But, unfortunately, they are playing on a, at a very, very high level right now, coming off a big, huge uh, week one win against Dallas. A couple of guys you mentioned to me, the spotlight's on. Fowler, you've, you, 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 you've got to get – to the quarterback, and I know Brady's going to, what, a second and a half, he's getting rid of it, but yeah, Dante Fowler's had moments where he's been one of the one of the better pass rushers in this league. You need that from him, and then Kyle Pitts, I'm with you. Early on, man, even if you have to kind of force it, get the ball to Kyle Pitts, get him involved in the game, draw that defensive attention to Kyle, and I think it'll open things up for other guys. We'll come back. Should Georgia be on upset alert this Saturday? I know Christian told me earlier today that I'm kind of getting the vibes from a couple of years ago. We'll see. We'll talk about that next. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin. It's 31 and a half. Not that, not that Georgia can't win this game 44 to 9 or whatever, but I, just to 
to just kind of chalk it up. It's the it, it's the SEC opener. Okay, South Carolina's got a really good defensive front. I think this game might be might be a little a little closer with South Carolina's defense. Do I think Georgia should be on upset alert? No, I do not get that sense. And talking to producer Christian earlier, uh, he was saying I'm, I'm I'm kind of getting the vibes of a couple of years ago. Now I do understand that from this angle. And dog fans, if you want to chime in, nine one two three four two seven one eight four. 3427184 let us know how you're feeling that South Carolina has a great defensive line and if you go back a couple of years ago Ben to the upset well you had a great defensive performance overall of course Israel Mukwamu had three interceptions took one to the house but it was Javon Kinlaw at the line of scrimmage who was just disrupting everything and you look at South Carolina and the strength of their team is probably the running backs but also the defensive line now you have Kingsley Inegbare who was all SEC First team All SEC a year ago. You look at the uh, transfer they got from Jordan State, uh, uh, or Georgia State, Jordan Strawn out of Camden County. He led the nation in sacks a year ago. You have Aaron Sterling. You have some really good depth along the defensive line. I think this is a game that could be tight for a while, but I think Georgia, the way they're playing, should feel extremely confidently going into. I don't know about 31 and a half points, but uh, I, I think Georgia wins this game fairly comfortably. But this defensive line, and then you talk about Kevin Harris being healthy, South Carolina is a better team than people think. I agree, but I still think Georgia should feel confident, very confident going into this game. BJ, we don't have archives enough on this show. If we go back 2019, and we probably were saying very, very similar things that we're saying now, right? I think too often at times we don't give college football and college football players enough credit for just understanding what the game of football is. We analyze it, we break it down, but we don't control the narrative or we don't control the outcome when the field when you get on the field. 2019, a, a wide receiver goes into Georgia, and they win the game. Now, I know Israel McCormick had a lot to do with it with his three picks, one being for a touchdown. But, BJ, I tell you this all the time. The team that comes in with no pressure is a team that can go out and play the loosest. Ain't no pressure on South Carolina. I mean, their quarterback, Zeb Nolan, was a, was a quarterback coach just, what, a month ago. Now he's starting for the Gamecocks. I think we do. I think we do. Uh, we do the most damage when it comes to uh, the narratives and when it comes to these uh, fans because we just chalk it up, right? We are creatures of the moment so bad. Someone, someone once said, "You want you know how I can predict future behavior? Present behavior." Well, you know, I'm sorry, future behavior by past behavior. When you go, when you go in the past with Georgia and South Carolina, I mean. I mean, BJ, outside of the clowny years, I'm not not counting those years. Georgia has been the better team every year. That doesn't mean they're gonna win the game. So I'm not saying that Georgia's gonna no, lose. Listen, Ben, I I love this rivalry. This has always been a fun game to me. And again, dog fans, three four two seven one eight four. If you want to jump in here, what do you want? What do you expect to see this weekend? I've always really enjoyed this rivalry because you're right. Even with the you know years where South Carolina was very overmatched, you had some competitive games. You had some highlight moments. You had some weird moments. And then, of course, when Clowney was there with Spurrier and South Carolina was winning 11 games, you had some incredible performances from the Gamecocks. I do not think the line should be 31 and a half. I think that's a lot. But do I get the sense that, that there's an upset brewing, at least right now? Maybe I'll feel differently come Saturday night, but at least right now – I. I do not. I think Georgia defensively, it's going to be really hard for South Carolina to consistently move the football. I expect South Carolina's defense to have a good effort. This defensive front is one of the best in college football. A couple of guys we've mentioned. I don't know that you have necessarily what you had in the secondary a couple of years ago, where not only did you have Israel Mukwamu, J.C. Horn as well, some others. So I think I think South Carolina is better than the expectations 
Uh, a lot of people were giving them back in the preseason, oh, they might only win two games. Well, they're 2-0 right now. I think Coach Beamer's done a good job. I like the talent. I think the defense can keep it close. But I, I, I don't know how – and hopefully Kevin Harris is fully healthy. I'd give him 25, 30 carries. I'd let him be Marcus Lattimore Saturday night. But I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you can move the football through the air against this defense. And this defensive front for Georgia, so dominant. Montana UW. Jacksonville State, Florida State. Uh, you talk about App State, Miami. I can't remember uh, who the Oklahoma played first game of the year, BJ. I can't. It's, yeah, too late. Too I mean, late. listen, you've already called Auburn to but, beat but, Penn but, State. But, but, this, but this is what Why I'm saying. This is what it? I'm saying. We talk about this every week, right? The talent level really doesn't have anything to do with it. We are, Georgia's going to be more talented than most teams in college football, not named, what, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama. Georgia was more talented than, than South Carolina two years ago. Georgia has been more talented than Alabama since I think Kirby Smart has been the head coach. So? They're in the SEC. South Carolina is playing with a chip on his shoulder because it's not about Georgia. It's about them fighting for, you know, to stay relevant because they think that Beamer ball is not going to work in the SEC. Two games in, so far, so good. I'm not saying Georgia is not going to beat, you know, Alabama, I mean, not going to beat South Carolina. But if you're South Carolina, you're saying, look, man, I didn't go to South Carolina because I didn't recruit, get recruited by Georgia. I, gave, I, I went to South Carolina because I thought that was the best choice for me, the best place for me to be. Zeb Nolan, BJ, he's got to be a bigger upgrade than a, than, a, than a receiver two years ago. And I know it's and, – and, BJ, it's like when you were talking about the Florida-Alabama game. When the last time Alabama lost, it was September 19th, September 18th. It's like history repeats itself more in college football than we give it credit for. I'm not saying that's going to be the case. But guess what Guess what? Uh, South Carolina had in 2019 that they got in 2021? A good defensive line. That's what they had in 2019. So a lot of things are going in their way. And, and another thing South Carolina has on their side, no pressure. Zero pressure. Only difference is the games at night. Last time it, it was, I mean, BJ, that was probably one of the what one of the rainiest games you ever had in between the hedges. But I, I don't think it's gonna. I don't think. I think. I think you know the best team is gonna win this game, BJ. But this is about once again, if you lose to Georgia, how do you look doing it? Because the last thing Georgia want to be is in a, no pun intended, in a dogfight. The last, the last thing they really want to be in this this defense hasn't been challenged at all. And if and Kevin Harris, Zeb Nolan, and that offense, if they can find a way to keep some drives together, that defense can prove, hey, man, we human out here. I know we got one of the best defenses in the country, but we human. So I'm just looking to see how South Carolina answers the bell, BJ. I don't – upset alert is always more for the fans because, you, know, you know, if you're a Georgia fan, no matter what, you have to see it to believe it. It goes back to what, you know, Gerald Anderson said yesterday, BJ. We said, is this a championship caliber team? He said, uh, he want to wait. Because there's a lot of championship caliber teams, but he want to wait. So every week in college football is his own chapter. Chapter three will be Saturday night between the hedges. But if you are Shane Beamer, who is very, very complimentary with that Lou Holtz mind games with Kirby Smart, I don't think it's gonna work. But hey, I mean, I've seen I've seen teams, you know, come out, come, you know, uh, go to a go to an opposing uh, stadium and come out with a big win. BJ happens every year. We watch college football not for what we think is gonna happen, but what we hope will happen, and that's unpredictability. I don't think that's gonna happen. But BJ, that's why we watch. If South Carolina can find a way to make it a four quarter game. And Stetson Bennett is starting. I don't know who's going to start Stetson out of JT Daniels. BJ, how much more intrigue and how much more confidence does it give South Carolina if they still find a way to make it a game going into the fourth quarter? Oh, I think it would be quite the statement for a program with 
obviously a new staff and a grad transfer playing quarterbacks dealt with some injuries. I mean, it, you can gain momentum from this without winning if you're South Carolina. I believe that, and that's not a moral victory. I just think that would be a sign of progress for a program from the outside looking in that had modest expectations at the start of the year. Uh, 342-7184, dog fans, if you want to jump in here. We've talked to a couple of Georgia guests, Brooks Austin, others, Ben, that said, hey, you still need to see it out of the running game. It's going to be a big-time test for the offensive line facing this defensive line. Is this a game? And, and I, Stetson Bennett comes in with incredible momentum, great chemistry with his receivers, and we saw that in the first half against UAB. Do you think Georgia tries to run the football, regardless of who's at quarterback, a little more to slow down the pass rush and also get that group kind of in rhythm? I think we do. I do, I do think we see Georgia try to make it a point to run the football Saturday night. You hope they do because right now they're one-dimensional. And Georgia, I mean, this is so crazy, BJ. When you start talking about the fact that what Florida, Florida's the top rushing team in the country right now who couldn't run the football since Dan Mullen has been there. Auburn has the number one offense in the country, and Georgia can't run the football. I mean, when's the last time you heard that? So I think just to, just because you finna get it, start getting into the meats and potatoes of this schedule, you don't want to go into each game thinking that you got to win the game through the air. You want you want the air to be the complement to the running game. So I do think they make more of a you know you know. Uh, effort to kind of get those uh, get those backs going because if you were back in Florida right I mean back in Georgia right now you're very very frustrated not because not because they're not running because it looks like they can't run it so perception drives reality but yes BJ I do think Georgia gets back to what they do they bread and butter run the football because if Georgia can get balanced on offense and and the pad and the run game opens up for the passing game good luck trying to deal with that but yes I do think they get back to trying to run the football you know I, I just think that coach Munkin has gotten away from it because of the two teams they played even though week one was more of a defensive uh you know effort than an offensive effort but in order to be able to win some games you throw the ball to score you run the ball to win and thus far they've only done that in week one they didn't need it in week two I think they're gonna have to need it in week three with a South Carolina team that's come come in very very hungry very very motivated and I still think this is a really good offensive line for Georgia. You played Clemson right away uh, in week one. And then, you know, week two, you were able to do whatever you wanted through the air. I think Georgia's averaging over four yards per carry on the ground. I think you're going to see them, especially in the red zone, uh, run the football. Just one rushing touchdown right now on the season for Georgia. I think they're going to run the football well Saturday night. But, yeah, big, what a test for Zeb Nolan from Oconee County to come back and get the start at Georgia, uh, that's going to be a big storyline Saturday night. But listen, nobody scored on Georgia's defense. You're talking about Nakobe Dean, Nolan Smith, Jordan Davis. I, I, how do you I, how do you run the football? Look, I think Kevin Harris is as good as any running back in the country. It's not been healthy. I think he is moving forward. I would make him the focal point of the offensive game plan if I'm the Gamecocks. Try to take the pressure off of Zeb. Try to throw it off a of play action. Kevin Harris can be a guy that puts pressure directly on opposing defenses. But I don't know if South Carolina, I think it's going to be really hard to find balance offensively. It is, BJ, but that's a challenge every every week, right? For two weeks, is uh, how do we solve this problem known as the front seven of this Georgia defense? And it might be some misdirection. You might have to try to, you know, get creative in how, you know, may, maybe the passing game become a quick passing game becomes an extension of the running game for the Georgia team. Because, I mean, if you think you're going to sit there and just pound and move, Jordan Davis is a, is a freaking mountain sitting right there in front of that center. So that really, really eliminates a lot of things you're going to do when your center is occupied every single play. But that's why you play. It's about defying the eyes. It's doing things against a team they say you can't do it against. It's going out there asserting your will against a team they say they can't be moved. So I that's why I love that's why I love playing. It's about there's no way we can do this until it's done. So 
South Carolina going there loose, understanding this rivalry is always proven to be unpredictable, BJ. As much as we think we know about it, we don't know about it. So Georgia understands that they're going to have to go out there and be the big bad dogs, you know, uh, on on uh, on uh, Saturday night between the hedges. But if you are South Carolina, BJ, if you are Zeb Nolan, what if he can complete, you know, one big pass, and that and that and that opens that defense up, gets those safeties to back up, that gives confidence. You don't want a team that's already undermanned with a guy who wasn't even playing the quarterback position to come in with confidence, because that's what's scary. A team that's supposed to be out outmatched comes in to get some confidence. That's 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 a team that's very very scary for a team like Georgia. A big line for Saturday night though, thirty one and a half. Uh, Georgia, a thirty one and a half point favorite over South Carolina. Mike Griffith of Dog Nation will join us in the final hour. We'll get to more college football at the top of the next hour as well. Three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Some rain on the field, of course, and then rain today in Atlanta. I think there was some debate, discussion. Do we try to wait it out, given that we're late in the season, try to play it later tonight, or are we going to reschedule this thing? And the game, Atlanta, Colorado, officially postponed. So no Braves baseball today, no Braves baseball tonight. And right now, as it stands, Atlanta has a a three-and-a-half game lead over the Phillies. The Phillies play the Cubs tonight, so we'll see what happens there. But I don't know how they're going to do this. We'll have to wait and see when this game will be rescheduled. You, of course, don't have many dates left, and Atlanta already has coming up. They're going to have that that finish to the game with San Diego, I believe, where you have to play a couple of innings. So you have that. You also have a makeup now with the Colorado Rockies, and we'll just have to wait and see when that's going to be played and kind of what the circumstances are, what's the lead. It could get very interesting depending upon where the standings are, what it looks like. But right now, three-and-a-half game lead over the Phillies. I know you lost a game last night, lost a game in the standings, but – Root for the Cubs against the Phillies. Take care of business. You still have mostly favorable matchups coming up the rest of the way. 15 15 is your magic number, I believe. But, Ben, we'll see what happens. I still feel good. You lost a game in the standings last night, three and a half over Philadelphia, but have not played great in recent days. Need to turn that around here uh, this weekend. Yeah, I always go back to what I said about this Braves seeds, BJ. They seem to rise to the to the occasion. They seem to understand that they don't play down the lesser competition this year. They seem to play extremely well when they go up against teams that meet the talent threshold. And I just look, I just look at everything they had to overcome to still be in this position to go from chasing uh, the Mets to chasing the fields to then being the one to go from being the hunter to being the hunted. I I like what I see. And once again, BJ, I know you say that you know to win in baseball you have to win with starting pitching. I think this Braves team can match with the best of them because when them bats are on fire you might as well get ready because these guys are incredible I mean I don't know how many guys got over 30 home runs but I think the Braves might be second in the bigs uh I think I think right behind I think Toronto for second in the bigs for the uh for the most home runs but very 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 impressed with what the Braves are doing hopefully they can keep that uh keep that keep that nice little cushion between them and the fields and I think it's fair to be to be disappointed the last couple of nights. I mean, Colorado's been terrible away from home. And had you lost today, you would have been swept. Uh, Colorado would have had a road sweep. And we'll see what happens, of course, with the, with the makeup, the postponed game. But it's time to get right. It's time to win some games. This weekend, an opportunity to do that. And not a lot of games left. So a three-and-a-half game lead. Each day we move forward and it stays in that three, four, five range. You feel pretty good. But keep this in mind. The last series of the regular season, the regular season for Atlanta, Philadelphia. The Braves will play the Phillies in the final series of the regular season. Hopefully, you enter that three-game set with more than a three-game lead, and it's already wrapped up. 
but need to win some games this weekend and get back to your winning ways. We'll come back. A lot of college football talk to come. Mike Griffith in the final hour. It's three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network, ESPN Coastal. Griffith from Dog Nation will join us in about 30, 45 minutes or so as we'll get the latest on Georgia, South Carolina. What's the latest with the quarterback situation? Uh, what are expectations for the dogs with the SEC opener coming up Saturday night between the hedges against South Carolina? We'll also talk Jags and Broncos. I mean, talk about teams that didn't look great in week one. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars a little out of sorts. Uh, lost by multiple scores to the Texans. Now you come home, you have Denver coming to town. Can Trevor Lawrence, who's coming off his first loss ever, like as a real football player in the regular season, never had that happen in high school, never had that happen in college at Clemson. So now it's coming off a loss in the regular season. Uh, how are the Jaguars looking? But producer Christian left us some big picture college football questions to answer. We'll send it back to Cam. What do you have for us? Uh, guys, um, who should start at Tennessee as, uh, at quarterback? Who should start this Saturday? It's an interesting question because we had the kind of the three-player rotation that we expected to see with Joe Milton, the Michigan transfer, Hendon Hooker, the Virginia Tech transfer, and the former five-star Harrison Bailey. We've seen Milton, who got the start, look pretty good in week one, struggled a little bit last week. Hooker came in, had some big throws. We have not seen Harrison Bailey, which has been a little bit of a surprise. Uh, but I think for me – and you didn't look terrible against Pitt. You had a chance at the end with the comeback. Pitt's a good team. But I think I would go Hendon Hooker. Uh, gave, you some, gave you some stability. Gave you some big plays late in that game against the Panthers. Couldn't quite rally you to the, to the comeback win. But this is a guy that started for multiple years in the ACC at Virginia Tech. Played in some big games. Won some big games. Has the momentum of what he did last week. And also has kind of that, that spotlight experience. So I still like Milton. Did some good things. I think Harrison Bailey uh, is a guy who probably feels like he should be getting an opportunity to play. But I think based on what we saw against Pitt, Hendon Hooker, a couple of touchdown passes, seems like a good fit for the offense. I think Hendon Hooker should be the starter. I mean, B.J., Joe Milton obviously has shown that maybe maybe like maybe the uh... – Maybe the situation or the you know the circumstances just too big for him right now, and I think you go with Hendon Hooker for this reason. Harrison Bailey needs to see what it takes to, you know to be successful in the SEC. He's obviously the guy that they want. Whenever you bring in transfers, those are guys who obviously didn't make it at their previous school, so they want to come into the current school and try to be able to live out the rest of their college football career and try to you know potentially take another school to uh, try to take their new school to new heights for things they couldn't do at their previous school. Harrison Bailey probably got the most upside. Hendon Hooker has experience. And he came in, you know, he came in when, when Milton didn't play well, BJ, and was able to, you know, continue to help this uh, offense move forward. Harrison Bailey is who they're going to go with. Hendon Hooker is going to play. He's going to be on a short leash. But I think if he does play well, that's going to, that's gonna, you know, postpone the time for Harrison Bailey. But I'm going to go with Hendon Hooker as well because he was the guy coming over from, from uh, Virginia Tech, the first, uh, you know, uh, BJ that was supposed to be the guy that kind of helped his offense. Obviously, maybe Coach Hyper's offense doesn't, you know, do, utilize what he does well. But it's going to be Harrison Bailey. But this weekend, I'm going to go with Hendon Hooker. Okay, who you should play is Hooker. Who you need to play is Bailey. And I'll say this, um, he's highly uh, he was highly recruited out of high school. If you were playing like Georgia or Alabama this week, you're obviously going to go with Hooker. He's more experienced. But Bailey – um, Tennessee just isn't that great of a football team, so you want to start a foundation, build up again. And Bailey is what a sophomore this year or a freshman because of you know the COVID rules and restrictions that happened last year. 
I would most definitely go with um, Bailey because they're playing Tennessee Tech, kind of a tune-up game to, you know, kind of get your team together after a tough loss against Pitt. Uh, I, I, I would definitely go with Bailey, and I think that's what they're going to do. Guys, uh, Bo Nix, he's familiar with big games. Is he good enough to take down Penn State, though? Is he good enough? Of course, absolutely. I mean, this guy, All. let me give you some of the wins he has on his resume already. First college game ever, he plays Justin Herbert in top 10 Oregon. That's a dub, and that was a neutral site game. So not a road game, but not at home. Beat Oregon. He's won at Texas A&M as a freshman. Went to Kyle Field, won. Oh, he beat Alabama that year. Yes, that Alabama. Won his first ever game in the Iron Bowl, dub. Last year, won at Ole Miss. That's a game where you're going back and forth with Matt Corral. You won. Beat LSU last year, playing the defending national champions. Now, was LSU great? No, but you still stepped on the big stage, beat the defending champs. Bo Nix, and Ben, you talked about this earlier in the show. He's got quite the resume. Now, statistically, a year ago, took a step back, but he's been a starter for multiple seasons. He's played on the road in the SEC, won at Kyle Field. He's absolutely capable of it. Now, does he? Interesting question. This is a tough environment you're going to play in at night, national you know, primetime game. Even if you've done it, that's still a challenge. Keep an eye on the big plays with Demetrius Robertson, who's been a real star for the Tigers, the former Cal and Georgia wide receiver. So I think you see he uh, uh, see uh, Robertson have some big plays. But I think Bo Nix, to answer the question directly, can he? Is he good enough? Yes. He has proven that he's a big game quarterback, and he's done it on the big stage multiple times before. Yes, he's more than good enough. I mean, people need to quit. People need to stop sleeping on uh, Bo Nix. Number one, he's a starting quarterback at Auburn. You know how many guys would love to be the starting quarterback at Auburn? You know how many guys wouldn't follow in the footsteps of their dad? His dad played quarterback at Auburn, so he was always, he, he's a legacy player. He understood. Most guys do not want to follow in the legacy of their father, especially when they had success like Bo Nick's dad did. But the reason why I say he's good enough is BJ and Cam is because he's bringing his friends with him. He got Jaquez, he got Tank, he got he got Coach Harson, he got he got a, he got the running game, he got a passing game, and he got a defense. So he don't have to do it by himself. Because I'm going to a game knowing I'm bringing a run game with, I'm bringing my homies with me. Yes, and he's done it, BJ, as you mentioned. You know, avenge that loss in, 20, in, 20, uh, in 2019 last year against LSU. Beat uh, beat Alabama his freshman year. Didn't even got welcome to the uh, to the Iron Bowl and said, "Look, I beat Alabama. Beat uh, you know, beat Justin Herbert. You know, at Oregon, the, the opening game of the year." I think the thing about Bo Nix is, as long as Bo Nix don't convert back to his sophomore year, he'll be fine. Penn State seem to think, "Hey man, we hope to get the Bo Nix in 2020." You better hope you get the, you better hope you ain't getting the Bo. I mean, I mean the Bo Nix of uh, 2020, not the Bo Nix of 2019. But I think he's more than capable of going out there and getting it done. I think how soon we forget, right, BJ? Like we expect this guy to go out there and put like these big time box score numbers up. No, he has a very, very incredible resume. And he's going to get to add to that resume. Is he good enough to beat Penn State? Yes. Will he beat him? I don't know. But if he does beat him, nobody should be shocked. Is this a trick question? Um, I, if you know me, I love, I love Bo Nix. I, I, I love him. I think he's just a great football player. But I mean, going back to what you said, BJ, he beat Justin Herbert, top, t- top 10 pick in the NFL draft. Uh, he beat Mac Jones, top 15 pick in the NFL draft. And then he beat Kellen Mond at Texas A&M. That's another NFL quarterback. So he beat three NFL quarterbacks in one season his freshman year. And what people really forget, LSU had one close game their entire time in 2019. That was against Bo Nix. They, uh, they beat Bo Nix 20-17. That was their lowest scoring game of that season. 
And Bo Nix, even though he made some freshman mistakes, he still kept the, he still kept his team in the game against a team that basically blew out everybody, blew out Clemson, just blew out everybody in the college football playoffs, Oklahoma. Uh, yes, Bo Nix is capable, and I actually have Auburn beating Penn State. Um, I, I'm going to be a little SEC biased, but I just think Bo Nix is going to go in there and put on the show. I, I love Bo. Okay, uh, does Coastal have a legitimate um, challenger in the Sun Belt? I think it's a mistake to say no. And I know you've had a disappointing start for some teams. Coastals look really good. Put it on Kansas. That was, what, their third straight win over Kansas. Grayson McCall, who I love, leads the nation in, in, in passer rating. You've had Reese White at running back do some big things. Isaiah Likely, Ben, I know you're a big fan of him. It tied in. Defensively, you're still making big plays. But the Sun Belt is really good. Now, let's talk about some of the disappointments. Louisiana, maybe we were expecting too much to say, hey, you got to go in and do it again on the road against a top 15 uh, Texas team. They, you know, weren't terrible, but weren't ever in the game. Now, Louisiana didn't, didn't look great in week two. That's a little concerning. You beat uh, Nickel State, I think, by three, 27-24, but still a talented team. Levi Lewis, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. They're going to run the football, the offensive line. I think it would be a mistake to say Louisiana is having a down year or a rebuilding year. That it, Too early for that. I also think people mistakenly have turned the page from Appalachian State. Appalachian State didn't beat Miami, but they were right there. Miami had to kick a game-winning field goal with two minutes left, and App State got the ball to the 50. So App State went play for play with a Miami team that is still really good. You don't forget about Miami either because they lose to Alabama. That was a good performance against Miami on the road for Appalachian State. And then if you want to go back to week one for App State, they really handled East Carolina, beat East Carolina by two touchdowns. And, yes, that's the same East Carolina team that South Carolina needed a game-winning field goal as time expired to beat and a pick six at the end of the first half to beat. I think Appalachian State is still really good. You look at teams like Georgia Southern and Troy, Georgia State, who you're going to have to play in, in the Sun Belt East. Those are still teams that can play with you. So I'm very impressed with what Coastal Carolina's done. But, are there, but is, is there a challenger in the uh, in the division, in the conference? Yes, and you're going to see that challenge just about every week. Of course there are challenges to, uh, to Coach Carolina. Listen, I give, I give Coach Chadwell a lot of credit in what he's built, you know, in Conway. The Chanticleers was always a team that was trying to find their way in the sun. But, but B.J., I – this is this that they're they're uh they're what a year and a half into dealing with uh, you know uh this much praise and these accolades that's coming from the Sun Belt, but when you but I think you said the best. You got to show me you can beat App consistently. Not that you can beat them, can you beat them consistently? Louisiana, I mean, I, you know, they can beat anybody you put them up against. Georgia Southern is just having a down year. And when you think about Troy, they're always the one that seems to get better when nobody's really talking about them. So I give, I give Coastal a lot of credit, but I don't want to just look past what App has done. I mean, App is, App is a team that scares teams the most coming out of the Sun Belt. When you talk about out-of-conference play, you talk about Miami. No, App didn't, App didn't almost beat Miami. App played Miami, you know, uh, play for play. And that's how App does. Didn't, I mean, BJ, wasn't it three years ago removed? App almost beat Penn State first game of the year at Penn State? That's yeah, what overtime, App does. Overtime. So, yeah, so, so for me, it's always going to be App because you could change coaches, you could change players, same result. Very, very hard to beat. Now, the thing about Louisiana, they're going to always bring a run game, they're going to always bring a defense, and they're going to always bring some solid special teams. Georgia Southern's having a down year, and we talked about Troy, but I don't want to ever say that, you know, it's Coastal Carolina and everybody else. No, it's the Sun Belt. While 
while everybody else was trying to find a way to catch up the app in Louisiana, Coastal Carolina got really, really good, really, really fast. But BJ, you think somebody want to play App State every if, if App and Coastal Carolina played each other ten times, it's not gonna be nine and one Coastal. It might be five and five, six and four. So it's always App. It's always Louisiana. Georgia Southern's having a down year. You know, always got to remember Troy. But shout out to them Sean Clears for showing that. Listen, they can handle success. Twenty twenty was not a was not a fluke. Uh, yes, they have a challenger. It's App State. Uh, we just saw this team lose to Miami by two. That's a top twenty five opponent. And I, I will go on record saying App State will beat Coastal this year. App State has them at home this year. Whoa, so, all right, all right, all right. Listen, we already got Ben saying uh, Ben saying Penn State's going to get beat by 30 by Auburn. You're oh, calling man. it. I like it, Cam. You're calling it. No, I, I'm calling it. I got Auburn being Penn State by a touchdown, yeah, but I have App State beating Coastal. Um, they hear the noise. They hear the talks, but they just took Miami to the brink. This is a Miami team that's the second-best team in the ACC, second or third, whatever you want to say, second or third. But that's – I mean, they just took them to the brink. So, um, Coastal Carolina, with all due respect, you know, they went, they, they did their thing last year and they're doing good this year. But App State is battle tested. I love battle tested teams. So, you know, give me App State and Louisiana. There's nothing to sleep on. They're a year removed from being Iowa State, who just finished in the top 10 last year, was in the Big, Twi- Big 12 championship. So, uh, you still got two teams in the Sun Belt that could give you a run for your money. So, don't sleep on that just yet. Lastly, will, um, uh, will Anthony Richardson. Or Emory Jones see more snaps on Saturday? Ben, ben you got to take this one first. <laughs> oh, man. Say it again because I, 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 you, you say AR-15 and it, you say you says Emory Jones going uh, gonna to start this Who's going to have more snaps, uh, Anthony uh, Richardson or Emory Jones this you Saturday? Know, you know what? For the, for the sake of the team, you're going to want to be Emory Jones because I think he's still going to be the starter moving forward. I think you do what you've been doing. Let, listen, one guy is a starter, BJ. I, listen, I look at Emory Jones as a starter. If, Look, I look at I look at the I look at the uh, I look at the Gators like the Braves. I mean, Emory Jones is your starter, so you know. I mean, you know, he's 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 gonna he's gonna be he's gonna be max free, right? But the thing about it is, is you know, when you got a closer like AR fifteen, it's the plays that you call for him. He's finding a way to do more with less, and I'm talking about less time. So yeah, for me, I think it's gonna be Emory Jones because I do think Emory Jones has more, you know, control of the offense. The thing about AR fifteen, you start looking at the splash plays, but can is he still an effective player? Is he not making a huge impact every play he's in there? Emory Jones is gonna be more of a guy. He's more of a facilitator. Emory Jones is gonna have to get out of his head. Emory Jones is gonna have to let the game come to him. Stop worrying about uh, AR fifteen. You know, breathing down your neck. Let that be motivation for you to go out there and get it done. Because BJ, you know, just like I know, great. I mean, splash players are incredible players until they got to be the guy. When you got to just go out there and play, play in and play out, and you can't go out there and have 80-yard runs and, you know, you know, 80-yard touchdown passes, are you the same player? So, for me, I think Emory Jones is going to get more of the snaps, but you have to be creative and you got to put AR-15 in there because he changes up everything you do offensively, and definitely he got to, he got to put fears. Uh, he he kind of, like, open up the defense. I mean, he kind of, like, make that defense back up because he can beat you with both his legs and his arms. Listen, I, I like Emory Jones a lot, uh, and he, he had some inconsistency uh, in, in, in both games. But I do think Jones starts. I think Richardson gets more stat, uh, snaps. You're playing Alabama. you got to go with the hot hand. And right now, Anthony Richardson, I've mentioned these numbers a couple of times, he's averaging 17.5 yards per pass attempt, 32 yards per pass completion, and 25 yards per rush. I mean, what he's doing, and going back to last season, he has five touchdowns in his last – 
23 plays. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has just been a highlight every time he's touched the ball. I think Emory Jones starts, and I'm not completely moving on from him, but I think you got to give Anthony Richardson the chance the way he's playing this Saturday against Alabama. I, I, I agree. I agree, BJ. I think Emory Jones starts, Anthony Richardson finishes the game. Uh, but, I mean, you know, it's not good to have quarterback issues going in against Bama. It's just not. So it's not looking too good for the Gators. But I, I didn't know Richardson was this dynamic until I looked it up. The kid is dynamic. Uh, Emory Jones is struggling a little bit against lesser talent um, in the first two games this year. So uh, I think Richardson, he'll get more snaps, but Emory Jones will start the game off. It's a big question. Heading into Saturday, there's a look at some of the big questions around college football. We'll come back with more. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Yes, range with Florida and Alabama and with Georgia Southern and Arkansas. But a chance to see an upset or two this weekend. Talking about this during the show meeting, is it turnovers? Is it getting off to a good start? In your mind, what what is the anatomy of an upset? What has to happen? And we've seen some. I mean, Florida State, Jacksonville State, that was a historic upset. What has to happen if a team that's a 3-4 touchdown underdog is going to win? What's the anatomy of an upset? Something something weird has to happen, BJ. You know, as much football as we see is when something happens that never happens, and you go, did you see that? Like, did you see what just happened? And it's something that they keep on going back to throughout the broadcast. But the one thing that absolutely has to happen, has to happen, you cannot flinch. The, the underdog has to play like they're not the underdog. And, and, and people go, how do they do that? No, it's just football. Like, when you, get, when you strip away the, the – the, you separate the, 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 you know, the prestige of the, of, the, of the team, that you know, of the favorite. If you strip away all the, you know, the preseason, you know, accolades and all, and all the preseason love that the favorite gets, BJ, then you can beat them because – we, when we talk about Alabama, everybody on Alabama or everybody on Penn State or everybody on Georgia ain't the greatest play, greatest things in sliced bread. They just happen to play for that brand. How And another thing that has to happen, can you as the underdog expose the weakness of the favorite? Because both teams got weaknesses. The thing about the favorite is they're exposing the weakness of uh, the underdog, and the one weakness of the underdog is is dealing with the hype of the favorite. As long as you come in saying, I don't care. I don't, I don't, I don't care then about who they are. No, I respect who they are, but I don't fear who they are. Because next thing you know, BJ, you saying to yourself, dude, why is this game twenty three to twenty going into the fourth? That favors the underdog. So see, to me, flinch. that's the see, see to me, it's how you, it's how you start. Because when, when, when teams are down, I don't know two, three touchdowns right away, it's almost impossible to adjust on the fly. You become one-dimensional offensively. You know, the defensively, you're going up against a team that's running the football, wearing you down, wearing the clock out. I think it starts in the first quarter. I think you can get a feel on the first couple of drives for what a game's going to look like. And you go back to the Florida State-Jacksonville State game. What was the score at the end of the first quarter? It was 0-0. And I think the confidence thing is very real. If you're Georgia Tech and you're playing Clemson and they come out, go right down the field, get a couple of touchdowns on you, even though it's 10 nothing or 14 nothing, you're looking around going, it feels like it's more than that. And if you can have success early, even though it's early, I think that has lasting power, both for the underdog, giving them something to believe in, and it creates a little doubt for the favorites. So then I look at the first couple of drives. Can you make a stand, make a statement early when I think about the anatomy of an, of an upset? 
the biggest thing too, BJ, you got to force the favorite in the field goals and not touchdowns. That's that's the only way you're gonna gonna stay into the game. And you got to complete some pads. You got to complete some 50-50 balls. Like individual matchups have to be won by the underdog. Three and outs have to be won by the defense of the underdog. You got you got to have you got to shift the narrative. Like it's supposed to go from re- cheers for the for the for the uh for the favorite to people going, what's going on? Because we, we forget, BJ, the underdog is only the underdog because that's the national narrative. They don't feel like the underdog. That's just what the world is saying. And if we lose, that's what everybody expects us to do. I give you two words, Eli Manning. Everybody thought that, oh, man, New England's going to go undefeated. I mean, Peyton can't even beat them. Every time New England faced Eli Manning in the Super Bowl, they lost. And they were not the favorites either time. And after they win, they start. that's when they talk about the D-line. That's when they talk about JPP and Justin Tuck and Michael Strahan and Asiyama Yura and, and, and Manningham and, and the catch and all this nonsense. No. I'm the underdog. I'm going to play the underdog role. I'm going to play the underdog role in the public, you know, and I'm going to say all the right things. But underneath, I think I could beat you. But I got to prove it. And, BJ, that's why we love college football. We love it because the underdog story – it's just like the redemption story. It's always better than the favorite. And if you are the favorite, you should be very, very nervous because this might be upset alert weekend. But I will say this. Jacksonville Jacksonville didn't up, Jacksonville didn't State didn't upset Florida State. They beat them. Because college football, as we say every week, BJ, the talent level is not that different. Just the tradition, just the prestige, and just the brand. Everything else is pretty even. And we'll see. A lot of big lines entering this weekend. Uh, will there be some interesting results? The college football always delivers, so we'll see what happens on Saturday. Jags and Broncos playing in Jacksonville. Uh, what will the Jags do after a disappointing week one? We'll come back and discuss that three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Played a team that's probably not very good in the Houston Texans. A lot of your production, your yardage, the numbers for Trevor Lawrence came late in the game once the outcome was already uh, uh, clearly established. I think when you look at the Jaguars individually, right, you want to see more touches for James Robinson. That was a little perplexing that in Trevor Lawrence's first game, he threw it 51 times, and James Robinson, who might be your best player, had five or six carries. I think you'd like to see that balance out defensively. You'd like to see some pressure on the quarterback. Uh, You have a young secondary. You've invested a lot of draft equity in your front seven, and uh, Josh Allen had one sack, but there wasn't much outside of that. But I think more than that, Ben, I just want to see a team that kind of looks like it's in rhythm, a team that looks like it's in sync, a team that doesn't have those procedure penalties. Do you win? Do you beat the Broncos, who, who look good against the Giants in week one? I don't know. But I think beyond that, you want a team that looks more uh, looks more organized, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, coming up here in game two. Yeah, they, they did come out flat. And sometimes, BJ, you mean those, those type of things happen, but <sighs> I, just want, I just want to find something to feel good about. It's only week one. You know, I was going, I mean, I mean, I'd be quite honest, I was going back and forth on the phone with my mom, who's a hater. I'm just going to go ahead. And be, she's a hater, by the way. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. I said, they're going to just go 16-1. and one. She goes, who? I said, the Falcons. She goes, are you watching the same team I'm watching? I say, yes. BJ, one, I like the fact that Matty Ice is still showing he got a little pep in his step. The problem is he's running for his life when he's showing that pep in his step. Dante, Dante Fowler Jr., where are you? Like, you got to be that guy. Atlanta's going to have to win with the front four, BJ, with a young secondary. But you know who's the most disappointing? And, BJ, you know, here's a name that we haven't said maybe in two years. Deion Jones. Where is he? Like, 
what happened to him? So, my and, and BJ and BJ just told me we we're talking about the Jag. I'm see BJ. I'm all over the place today. I apologize. Well, you said the 51 yards. Hey, hey man, it's all good. I'm good to go. Either, no, 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 no. Either, no, no. We talk, either I, my, my fault. I was, I was doing, you know, uh, you know, full disclosure. I was, do, I was doing the Titans. Uh, I was doing Titans podcast last night, BJ. And so my Titans don't look no better. But yes, to switch gears to what we were talking about with the Jaguars and not the and not the Falcons. BJ, I think you got something to feel optimistic about because when you got a quarterback that can sit back 51, 51 times and still find a way, three touchdown passes in your debut, even with three picks, is still not something, uh, not something to feel bad about because if James Robinson is not running the football and that defense ain't giving a lot of help, BJ, it's gonna rise, it's gonna rise and fall on Trevor Lawrence. How much can they? How much uh, can they make? Uh, how many uh, strides can they make in Week One? We'll see what happens. But yes, we'll talk about the Jags, not my Falcons. I do think they will have a bounce back, BJ, in our uh, Week Two. But they got to be able to deal with old Teddy Bridgewater. Hey man, look, I got you. There's not much to talk about, you know, positively with uh, with with either team right now. But yeah, the Jaguars taking on the Broncos, and all eyes will be on Trevor Lawrence, of course. We'll come back. Mike Griffith, Dog Nation, will join us. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good afternoon, how are you? Doing great, guys. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming on. So, what's the latest with the health of the uh, Georgia quarterbacks? What's the latest with JT Daniels? And uh, I know Stetson Bennett dealing with, I guess, a uh, a lower back issue of some extent. Yeah, you know, Kirby said it just depends on how JT practices and if he's ready to go. Says if he's a hundred percent, he'll go, and if not, obviously Stetson's a guy that's that's proven he can step up and and get it done as well. So, uh, you know, Georgia with a couple of good options there at quarterback. And Mike, I know that uh, Shane Beamer is trying to, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, go back to the old Lou Holtz days and trying to play those mind games with Kirby talking about how great of a team Georgia is, and rightfully so because they definitely are. But how has Kirby's approach been this week? I mean, I know everybody keeps talking about what didn't, what uh, what went wrong in 2019, total different team in 2021. But what has been the message from Kirby to the players? Well, I mean, Georgia's got a lot to work on. You know, even though they dominated the scoreboard. The run game wasn't where Kirby wanted it to be. Uh, you know, there's a very young secondary that's getting broken in there on the corners. Uh, so there's plenty of improvement. There's a lot of competition within the team. A lot of these guys want to be on the field. And, you know, there's only one ball, and there's, you know, four or five really good running backs. Um, you know, you may have Kyrus Jackson moving back into the receiver rotation. That would certainly help out whoever's under center. And, and you're really not settled on the offensive line. I mean, uh, you know, Broderick Jones is a guy that uh, I think people want to see in there at left tackle. That would enable Jamari Sellier to move inside and move somebody out of guard, be it uh, Warren Erickson or Justin Schaefer. And, you know, Marius Mims, it's just a matter of time before uh, that monster gets out there. He is just such a, a physical force and talented player, but it's going to take time. Mike, do you think this Saturday night we see Georgia try to run the football a little bit more, get those uh, running backs involved, and maybe try to stabilize the offensive line that way by, by by focusing on the ground game? Well, I don't know about focusing on the ground game. A lot of what Georgia does is predicated on the defensive alignment. Uh, you know, if the weather plays a factor, you know, I think there may be some rain. That would certainly benefit South Carolina if they could uh, get a sloppy field and some torrential rain. And, and ground uh, the Georgia pass game. You know, South Carolina is a very good uh, defensive line, uh, so it could be tough sledding for the Georgia run game again unless their offensive line gets it going. Conversely, uh, Georgia's defensive line has a huge advantage over the South Carolina offensive line. I mean, that's that's really the difference in the game. I mean, 
um, you know, the, the most exaggerated difference, I should say. I mean, that's, that's what's going to prevent South Carolina from really having any hope of winning a game like this. What 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 is uh, what is uh, you know uh, being around this whole Carson Beck thing? I mean, I understand he was a highly recruited guy coming out of high school. I mean, you see, last week he came in kind of like in garbage time when you know when the game was kind of over with. I know the Stetson Bennett has been a godsend for this Georgia team, even going back to twenty twenty. But what what is it about Carson Beck that maybe you know uh, maybe uh, you know uh, Coach Munkin and maybe uh, Coach you know Coach Smart don't feel too comfortable about just running him out there as a starter. Well, I just think you feel more comfortable with a guy that's a fifth-year starter that quarterbacked, uh, you know, started five games and played in ten last year and, you know, had a whole junior college season under his belt, and, you know, than than a guy who'd never played any extended snaps or thrown a pass in a game. And, you know, uh, Kirby was asked last week about about uh, if uh, if Beck was the number two, and he said he was, and he didn't lie. He just didn't tell us that Stetson was the number one. Um, so, you know, you know, when Carson got out there, he had some opportunities and, you know, threw a couple incomplete. You could tell that the speed of the game, he was adjusting to it. And then he threw a pick six. So I, I don't think there was much of a controversy, um, you know, by the end of the game. I think it was pretty clear that Kirby made the right call. Mike Griffith, Dog Nation, here with us on three and out. And uh, you mentioned an unsettled offensive line in some respects for Georgia. And you mentioned South Carolina, a good defensive front. Is this a litmus test for Georgia's offensive line? A lot of talented guys, but in terms of playing up to your full potential with the continuity of the group as a whole, will South Carolina's defensive front present a challenge? You know, it could. You know, it could. If, if Georgia's not able to find balance, you know, they do need to run it some, but you know, they're going to have to complete passes. You know, they're going to have to make South Carolina pay. If you know, I, I, Do we think that South Carolina's defensive front can generate pressure on the quarterback without the benefit of a blitz? I, I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, do I think that the South Carolina front is on par with Clemson's? No, I don't. But I think it's good, and I, I think it's solid enough to, you know, that Georgia's not going to just line up and run over them. I do expect some resistance from the South Carolina defense, and you know, there's something to be said for Coach Beamer. Uh, you know, I, I, I go way back with Shane. You know, he's a, you know, I'd call him a friend of mine. Uh, he's a guy I got a lot of respect for, and he inherited a pretty tough hand. And, you know, getting that win over East Carolina, that was a big win. A big win to go into somebody else's stadium like that as an underdog. And, you know, you start to get the buy-in from your players and, and the belief. Uh, you know, Shane knows how Kirby does things. He's got a good idea what he's up against. Conversely, Will Muschamp's got a really good idea about the personnel uh, that Shane has to work with. Uh, I, I just don't think this is one where you say, well, which coach gets it done? It already has that much more talent. And Mike, even sticking with Shane Beam, I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, didn't 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 inherit the best uh, South Carolina team of you've ever seen. But as you mentioned, getting two and zero, being able to have a guy in Zeb Nolan who went from coaching quarterbacks to being a coach to being the starting quarterback, and really, un- and you said he understands uh, what Kirby Smart wants to do. Not saying that you know South Carolina is gonna is gonna beat Georgia, but does because you know a lot about a team and you know you coming in with an underdog mentality because no one expects you to get it done. Does that add to you being more? Of a dangerous team because you kind of know what the other team wants to do even if you don't meet the talent threshold. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I could see, you know, kind of a playing with nothing to lose kind of situation, but, you know, the reason they're a big underdog is because they, they lost some talent and um, and, the, and they've got a, a quarterback situation that's, that's not ideal. I mean, Zeb Nolan's, uh, you know, from right here, in Latin very is a good quarterback, not a great quarterback. Uh, he's going up against a, a ferocious defensive front. 
know, either that or Doty sees his first action. I don't know if I'd, I'd want to put him out there in this game. I think might might want to wait another week. Uh, I just think South Carolina is overmatched from a talent standpoint. And, uh, you know, this Georgia team is, is you know, they're foaming at the mouth. I mean, they, they, they haven't allowed an offensive touchdown yet. And Clemson's a pretty good team. And I, I don't think UAB was ter- – I mean, UAB beat Jacksonville State 31-0. to One week later, Jacksonville State beat Florida State. So I, I don't think UAB was a horrible football team. Um, I think Georgia's just that good. I know it's early. We're talking about two games, but of course to do it against Clemson and then follow it up the next week. Is this a potentially generationally good Georgia defense when you look at the balance and the experience and especially that that defensive front? Well, when you look at the schedule, it'll come off that way. You know, they got a much more favorable schedule than they had a year ago and, and a lot of the quarterbacks, a lot of the experienced quarterbacks in the league have moved on. Um, it does seem to be leading to a little bit more of a defensive trend early this year. You know, from what I've seen against Florida, their quarterback situation doesn't look real settled. Uh, don't know how good Arkansas's quarterback is. I know their line play is really good. Uh, big fan of Bo Nix here. You know, covered his dad at Auburn, and, and, and I think he's a talent. I, I know a lot of people kind of write him off, but I think he's a gamer. And, you know, that game at Auburn could be interesting for Georgia. But, you know, for the most part, uh, uh, look, they've led the nation in run defense the last two years, and there's really no reason to believe that, that they won't be in the top five again. Coach Landing and how he has his defensive plan just at a just as BJ mentioned just at a historic level. Talk about those guys that you know. Talk about those backups. I mean, we know about you know Nicobe Dean. We know about you know Jordan Davis and those guys. But when those guys go out the game, when those backups come in, there really is not a drop off of talent and, and uh, effort at all. Well, I mean, all you need to know is it took Nolan Smith three years to get on the field as a starter. You know, and he was the best recruit in the country a few years ago. I mean, that's how good they are at that position. And they're still loaded there. They're loaded on the defensive line. I mean, Jalen Carter, uh, you know, maybe the best defensive tackle in, in recent college football history not to start. Uh, I mean, you're behind Devontae Wyatt and, and Jordan Davis. I mean, but Carter is just, like you said, he's just a brute. Uh, I look in the linebacking core, and you talk about a guy like Channing Tindell and Quay Walker there at the mic, and, you know, Tresman Marshall's another guy. I mean, more names are starting to emerge. To your point, you know, we're starting to learn a little bit more about how well Georgia's recruited. Uh, the next group's coming in. They're going to try to get these guys as much experience as they can because I'll tell you, you look at this NFL draft coming up, you'll probably have 11 or 12 Georgia guys drafted and, and maybe eight or nine off the defense. So, I think the one good thing about having a schedule like this, you know, and this is how Clemson benefits every year, you know, when you're blowing everybody out, you can play other guys and develop, and it allows you to kind of build your program. I think Dabo's done a great job, and being in the ACC is conducive to that. In the SEC, you don't always get those opportunities because the games usually stay pretty close. It's top to bottom. The SEC is a better league. All you got to do is look at the number of guys drafted from every team I you know, it's um, so I, this could be a year, though, where Georgia could develop some of that talent. And to your point, they need to develop some of that talent. Mike Griffith, Dog Nation, our guest here on 3 and Out. Mike, thanks so much as always. Appreciate it, guys. Have a great weekend. And, Ben, uh, you look at a game where Georgia is clearly more talented. South Carolina's got a great defensive front, but the situation at quarterback is what it is, and you're still trying to develop overall an offensive identity. Assuming you win the game and the 31-and-a-half-point line is pretty substantial, if you're Kirby Smart, what do you want to see on Saturday night in your SEC opener against South Carolina? I want to see growth. 
I want I want to see my team not get complacent off what we've done already and focus on what we're doing right now. The most important game is always the current game, not the previous game. Can't live off who you used to be, uh, you know, BJ from week in and week out. I mean, chapter three should be better than chapter two. You should be adding two, you know, BJ. You talk about this historic defense and something that Mike said. I mean, led. To, I mean, the number one uh, number one ranked defense against the run two years in a row. Why would that stop? Uh, you know, in 2021, just keep on listen. Keep on adding wood to the fire. Just stacking stacking bricks and. As far as like what they're trying to build, but if you're Georgia, go out there and be the dominant team. Forget the forget the point spread. Forget where you rank. Go out there and be the better team on Saturday on offense, defense, and special teams, and show and show uh, everybody in the SEC that if they got you on the schedule this year, it's gonna be a long day. Yeah, yesterday chatting with Gerald Anderson, former Georgia star, and we said, "Hey, is this team? Does this look like a championship team?" And he said, "Yeah, still some things I need to see. What what do what do we still need to see from Georgia?" Maybe maybe running the football. I understand the production hasn't been consistent defensively. I, look, you've seen it all. Maybe maybe you want to see just a continuation. I think that's that's fair to say. You've been great. Can you keep it up? What are you still looking for out of the Bulldogs if we're evaluating them through the prism of being a national championship favorite? Putting it all together. They don't have balance on offense. They have better players on offense than the team they play. They don't have a they don't have a creative they don't have creativity on offense. They just have to have better players on offense than the guys they play against. BJ, you know just like I know. If you can't run the football consistently in the SEC and you're a championship caliber team, you're not gonna be the team like Alabama to win the national championship or in Atlanta. So for me, I want to see balance on offense. The last two games, Georgia has won throwing the football and they did not score a touchdown in week one. So I, I'm used to seeing Georgia win games by just bludgeoning guys with running the football. If they can't get back to that balance of running the football, open up for the pass, they're going to win games. But when it comes to the teams that can beat them, not named Clemson, they will find themselves on the losing end of it. And that game against Kentucky, in addition to that game against Auburn, as Mike mentioned, with Florida as well, uh, might look a little more challenging at this point. We were set to have Braves baseball earlier today. That did not happen. Braves were finishing a three-game series against the Colorado Rockies. It rained last night, of course, in the game, rained today, and I believe it was determined that, hey, we're not going to be able to do this with the field, with the infield the way it is. So Atlanta and Colorado game three has been postponed and rescheduled. We will not have that later today or tonight, rescheduled at a later date, and the Braves currently have a a three-and-a-half game lead over the Philadelphia Phillies, who play the Cubs tonight, but you still have to figure in the makeup game now with Colorado and you have the finish to the game, I believe against San Diego uh, where you have a couple of innings left to go in that one. So you're going to have to look at a, I guess, kind of schedule adjustment on the fly to some extent for the Atlanta Braves. We were set to have Braves and Rockies game three with Ian Anderson on the mound as an afternoon game that did not happen. And uh, you've not played great this week. I think to lose two home games against the Rockies who have been terrible away from home is a disappointment. But Atlanta will adjust and get back after it this weekend. No game today. Make up at a later date. Want to thank Mike Griffith, Dog Nation, for joining us on the program. A lot of college football talk to come your way tomorrow as we continue to look at Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, Florida, Georgia Southern, and Arkansas. We'll see you tomorrow. Three and out. ESPNCoastal.com.